Exit for Podcast Mutants, Magic, and Marvels is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And for all things X's for Podcast, check out X's for Podcast on Twitter and YouTube. Hey there! Wrong person. Hey everybody, welcome back to a totally awesome all '90s characters episode of Exus Your Podcast, your premier comic podcast, now live video cast for mutants, Marvels, Magic, and so much more. I'm Nico, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Nico Action. That's N I C O A C T I O N. And I'm TK. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at X Nate X Gray X. Hey y'all, it's Nathan. You can find me online at Desler AOA. That's like Desler in the Age of Apocalypse. And oh my god, we're actually going to talk about the Age of Apocalypse, kind of, in this. And that's on Twitter mainly, but everywhere else. And I am so excited for the stuff that we are here to talk about because we have an amazing. I have to get this claw off. I can't possibly do this. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to keep the claw on. I'm going to keep flashing it in from now. No, I can't do it. I just can't possibly. So we are here today to talk so much 90s stuff, and I'm thrilled. We're going to be talking about some Weapon X. We're going to be talking Wolverine, X-Force. We're going to be talking Sins of Sinister. We've got Cable, Domino. We've got everybody under the sun. And I'm so excited because, you know, anybody who's been following the show knows this guy, you know, this guy. Though this is not like the real Wolverine replica jacket. This was like $8 at, I think, <laughs> was it uh, Stephen Barry's in like 2004? Um R.I.P. So, fashion that you can wear twice. <laughs> I've never actually worn it and extended my arms. I don't, I don't know what that's like. It's so, the perfect video conferencing jacket then. It is. You find your light and you just don't move it's that much. Pure look. So uh, we're here to talk about these amazing 90s characters. And I'm so excited because one of the things that makes this so cool, we actually all kind of have this real love of 90s characters. And, uh, you know, I, I think... This guy is my ultimate 90s guy. Wolverine is everything 90s excess at its best. And what's your guy's 90s? What's your 90s X-Men? Mine's Gene. 90s Gene. Gene Grey. Not Phoenix. Not Marvel Girl. Gene Grey. With the head buttressing. Yeah, not her. Not her. <laughs> uh, she's got to have the science suit on. That's actually so funny that she's in. I guess Storm kind of isn't in her 90s outfit there either. Um, but, you know, every, you know, Psylocke, iconic Psylocke look. So glad that it is uh, the right character in that look in that body now. But, you know, uh, it's it's Jean with the, you know, the telekinesis gem Scott. that doesn't do anything. What is that for? Full facial buttressing. Is it a skin suit? Does she have pockets on there? You can't tell issue to issue. But uh, to me, it's iconic. High pony. Um, everything about it is good. That's that is my '90s character. Uh, mine's easy for me. Like for '80s, it's got to be Storm. '90s, it is Rogue. I love that Jim Lee look that's up there. Like mwah, killer. Like I love her like green swimsuit looks before it. Um, and it just really like cemented my love of X Men as a character who like. I loved it that she had to she had to cover up her skin because she 
would be, you know, absorbing people from their skin and like I had skin stuff growing up, so I had to cover up my skin as well. So it made me feel seen. I was like, yay. Well, I oh, that's you know, what X-Men has always been for so many people has been the ability to connect on such an important level. And, you know, it sounds so silly, but like skin is it's really just like the part of you that you can't hide. And that's why I think so many X-Men having physical mutations is such a huge part of the sort of X-Men culture. And uh, speaking of somebody who loves mutants, who've got some dermatological mutations, I'm reminded that we're sitting somewhere about the sins of Sinister. And I'm thinking, you know, 90s, Sinister. It doesn't get much more X-Men the Animated Series. And I think we all go to that, you know, I have pointy metal teeth kind of place. But there's another place I go for Sinister and the 90s. And it's a little later than the 90s. But it features so many 90s characters. The Weapon X Omnibus, uh, Weapon X The Return, this thing has everyone that we're talking about today whether it's the characters from x-force or the characters from wolverine Sabretooth, they're all in this and yet everybody seems to forget they're super connected to sinister like we discovered that Sabretooth and wolverine have connections to sinister through origin 2 or that Sabretooth has been cloned by sinister how do you guys feel about sinister's part in the weapon x bigger picture you know, it's funny. I was thinking about it because of... So, we have gotten through the first issue of Sins of Sinister as of this recording. And, um, you know, I kind of count Immortal number 10 especially as the prelude. Um, no, and no. what I'm thinking of is Immortal 10 where Xavier talks about how Sinister had a role in raising him as well. And True. that is something we don't talk about a lot. And I would love to see explored a little bit more, maybe like way down the line. Cause I think I might need a sinister break when we're all done with sins of sinister. Uh, but that was a really useful, that retcon sort of helps to cement the idea that in the future, when somebody else retcons that sinister was part of a science thing that was happening in the Marvel universe that we all know about. It makes sense at this point. He yeah. is a scientist who ha is, uh, you know, functionally immortal, has lived for hundreds of years. He shows up where the science is happening. And Weapon X is where a lot of science is happening. I will not be surprised in a decade when somebody retcons that somebody that Sinister had control of helped make the world or the vaults, um, you know, Sinister is where the science is. And I love that. And Weapon X has some horrible, amazing science. <laughs> I, I love how it makes Sinister. Sinister, when he was first introduced, was somebody who was supposed to be, like, scary. But, like, never really came across as scary at first. But, like, with all of the retcons and all of the stuff he's had his finger, hands in, like it and fingers too. Um, it really, it really helps cement the fact that he is a, a scary force, and he's not just this, uh, you know, over the top vaudevillian villain. He's like actually something scary, something legit that uh, we need to be worried about, as we see in his grandmaster plan and the sinister. But like, it, it really, all of these pieces here helps make it plausible along the way. 
Well, I love where we are and the plausibility that we have because the big thing that I'm noticing, especially with us talking about Age of Apocalypse a little bit later on, kind of. Kind of. <laughs> kind of. Um, but with that coming up and knowing what we're about to discuss, it's just really funny that Dark Beast managed to be the least shitty Hank villain mm. version. I don't know, because like Teen Hank is fine. Just let him do magic or whatever. Um, but, you know, I am so excited because I do believe it is time to roll over from, although, hold on, wait, real quick, graphics department, the amazing Kevo, our phenomenal producer, and uh, the guy who keeps this thing running live every week, so incredible, so grateful, Kevo, would you be able to flash that wonderful table of contents for us? So, oh, of course, this is the Weapon X uh, table of contents, I I can't believe I forgot to flash this, Uh, because I'm talking about the Weapon X return omnibus, I wanted to mention some of these amazing issues inside. We have a ton of Wolverine. It's 162 to 166, 173 to 174, 176 sections of 159 to 161 and 175. And like, it's got all this stuff. And then it's got this amazing Weapon X uh, series. Parts of it have aged kind of poorly, but parts of it are quite incredible. It put a lot of emphasis on Sauron, Wild Child, Kane, Marrow, Agent Zero. There's some great cable stuff. And uh, I just love this miniseries and the series itself. How did you guys feel about it? Were you guys fans? I love the what I love the series itself when it came out. I need to go back and reread it now. Um, I'm really thinking about picking up that omnibus because not only does it have the Weapon X, but it has Weapon X Days of Future Past, which is like one of like my all time favorite stories. Like anything connected to Days of Future Past, I'm sure I have it in other collections, but I, I don't mind having it in another one. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, it was great. It was, it was kind of like the original version of what we're used to now with Hellions, like where you had a team of very obscure mutants, you know, that were somewhat villainous for the most part that we really got to see some shine and some character for, um, you know, and I loved it. I, I, I even loved what it did to Aurora, even though I don't always love what it did to Aurora. I uh, I just need to preface whatever uh, Teak is about to say with, um, I snatched this out from his hands. <laughs> he was going to buy it. And I was like, are you sure you want to buy it? Could I? Would you mind? Would you mind if I bought it? Would you mind? Could I buy it? Is that okay? okay I knew your birthday danger. was coming up. So it was a, it was a pre-gift <laughs> gift. Um, it was snatched from the shelves of my hometown comic store. Uh, Coast City Comics in Portland, Maine, who we love very much and that I was very excited to bring Nico to the first time that I brought him to Portland because I think it's a really cool, unique place. So shout out to them for having this on the shelves, too. This was also uh, on the discount shelves. This was not on the full price shelves. So I got it for $65. Truly uh, a wonderful experience. Um, anyway, should you ever be in Portland, Maine, check out Coast City Comics. Uh, I did not read this. I... Uh, at the time, it just wasn't really where my head was at. I've since gone back and, like, vaguely acquainted myself with, you know, the Aurora stuff um, and the Cable stuff. Um, but otherwise, this was not uh, this was not big for me. So I'm I'm kind of coming to it now because of you, Nico. Well, that's that's the magic of Nico being like everybody Wolverine right now. There you go. uh, Speaking of Wolverine right now, 
we have a graphic that represents our table of contents for the full episode where we're going to be running Weapon X The Return Omnibus, X-Force 35 and Wolverine 28, X-Men Unlimited Infinity Comics 61, I'm sorry, 60 and 61, then 62 to 67, X-Men Red number 9, Sabretooth and the Exiles and number 2, and Deadpool number 2. Okay. Well, nothing better to do than to bring in some amazing voices who have a ton to say about Wolverine and X-Force. And I believe we have someone to lead us. (laughs) (laughs) He was Mystique the whole time. (laughs) Does that make you Fox? (gasps) Oh, no. Oh, no. Maybe. Oh, scary. Okay. (laughs) It's my mama. It's not me. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we are jumping into it. So we've got a new, we've got two new competitors. We have two new, <laughs> <laughs> we have two new members joining our uh, our show tonight. Introduce yourself, please. Hey everyone, it's Jonah. You can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. That's P-E-A-K. And for this 90s episode, I wanted to be Wolverine, but uh, my Wolverine suit disappeared, and I don't know where it is, so I'm capped today. Hi, uh, it's me, Steve, and you can find me on Twitter at HowdyDuda. That's H-O-W-D-Y-D-U-D-A. I'm in other places. They're out there. Um, Tumblr. Yeah, that's fine. I'm, I'll check it. I promise. And I am—I I did not come. No, they won't. It's cold, so I'm dressed warmly. Hey, that's yeah. '90s too. The '90s got cold. Yeah. The '90s, 90s did, did get cold. cold. Yeah. All right. So we are—we are all gathered here to talk about Wolverine and the X Force. Um. So I—I've got to say, this. This run being one of the probably the longest runs. Actually, I think it has to be the longest run in the Krakoan era. Um, it, it's very much with the Saturday Night Live skit for me personally, <laughs> where like it started off great and then it got like really long and boring in the middle. But now, now it's coming back to where like I'm like, oh, okay, I'm digging this again. So like, what is y'all's experience with this run that Percy is setting up with Wolverine and X Force? overall throughout this Krakoan era. You've explained it. I understand it now <laughs> completely. I did not realize that the thing that I have not liked about this arc and run is that that uh, Jimmy Fallon keeps corpsing in the middle of the sketch. I, that explains it all. Thank you. I mean, I was going to say, like, for me, the Saturday Night Live sketch of it all is that it has not ended and is not switching plot. Like, it's... it's uh, all, Too we're many on, cooks too many cooks and it's the same plot essentially the entire time wolverine has a little more variation but it always because it's so woven in with x-force for one thing you know though i have to give props to percy nobody else has managed to hang on to their run for this long and it's two books that are technically uh that are technically two books but are really one book um but then sometimes are like weirdly too. I don't know. I'm very impressed that he like has staked his piece of the Marvel universe and he's not going anywhere. This just, especially the idea that beast is the most garbage person in the history of the Marvel universe has gone on too long. And he's too garbagey now where it's not even fun. 
And I do want to, before I take another moment, I realized I'm not running this segment, so uh, there was something that we had a request for, and I just want to make sure that uh, it is honored because I just realized I'm not running this segment. Uh, so uh, it was pointed out by our amazing contributor, Steve, that uh, there should be a warning attached to this. Steve, would you want to uh, take the moment to express it to everybody? Um, sure. Yeah, I just wanted to give a content warning to any of our listeners. If anybody, we're going to be talking probably quite a lot about self-harm, uh, self-loathing and other depressive issues. So if anybody is affected by these in a way that makes it unfun to listen to a podcast talk about it, just please skip ahead maybe 20 minutes and uh, we'll be back with some more content right after that. Perfect. Thank you so much. Great I didn't point. want to forget to do that. Uh, thank you so much. All right. Great point, because that is actually uh, the first thing that we should really dive into it all is where Ben Percy feels Wolverine is a a character, uh, especially his desire to show the parts of Wolverine that is really into self-harm. Now, I know it's easy to look at Wolverine as a character and, and dismiss a lot of this because he does have the healing factor that basically makes it safe for him to be able to do all of these things to himself um and you know also his uh, in a normal person it would be uncontrolled alcoholism but you know like wolverine never has to deal with the ramifications of it because of his healing factor no Um, in uh in this book you could just get rid of your alcoholism by using it as fire breath and then you're fine hey that's real Which, uh, you know, like when we, the, the next thing I want to talk to, uh, talk about later is, is Sage and her alcoholism. So that's also a, a good thing to have a trigger warning for in this issue. There's, there's a lot of heavy topics that we need to discuss to really fully get into these issues. But let's talk about Percy and his feeling that Wolverine is so into self-harm. Do we think that is a safe portrayal for a writer to portray when there's a character who is semi-invulnerable, who... Uh, basically will have no ramifications for his actions or you know is that just something that we see as an organic part of wolverine's character i think in this particular in this particular run of wolverine and this particular arc of wolverine it's being treated with a really heavy layer of seriousness at the emotional ramifications the mental consequences of what wolverine goes through on a daily basis and you know is the, the things that he's being forced to do in this particularly tragic and like painful to read arc is I I'm really enjoying Wolverine right now uh, for the first time in a long time, paradoxically, even though Wolverine is going through the shit worse than I've maybe ever seen him go through it. Um, these issues are personally affecting and uh, one Jose Reap in particular does a really good job of portraying the, the violence of Wolverine's feelings and Percy really captures that in the uh, interior monologue here. I, I think it's really affecting when I read the opening words being, you know, the dark is bad, but I'm bad. So we wait together. Yeah. And the, the part where he's just saying to himself, I am death while ripping pieces of his, of his face off his flesh, clawing at himself, just trying to get the bad out. Cause the bad is inside of him. It's, it's really simplistic in the way that it's written because of Wolverine's lobotomy, but honestly, that just somehow makes it all the more brutal and raw and emotive. And I, th- I think it's being approached with real seriousness in a way that other comics have used Wolverine with that in a very blasé, very casual way to as a as a shorthand signifier for self-loathing or for pain or anything like that. And here it's treated as like the primary issue 
with Wolverine right now, but beyond being a literal slave, which is yeah. a whole nother issue. That healing factor cannot heal the emotional damage from within. There is, um, I think there's a lot to say about using a character like Wolverine to represent something like self-harm and self-mutilation in terms of Wolverine literally cannot feel anything. And in order to make himself feel, he is constantly hurting himself because it's the only way that he can feel something in this moment, going through this state when he has this collar on. And it's very powerful. Personally, of my opinion, I actually think it is important that it's in a way right now, Wolverine, because I don't know if we're at a state in comics or if somebody's ready to tackle the idea of the permanent damage that some people can cause themselves and what that means. There's also a lot of other logistics that go into it of keeping continuity when drawing a character. That means anybody who's ever using that character later, if there is any form of self-harm, there is scarring, something along those lines, they have to maintain that. And it can get a little confusing. Um, and that will probably require a lot more position, but a character like Wolverine that you can chop up into little pieces and have him grow all back, it does, um, it is able to get the message across, be serious without it holding the logistic ramifications of a character being scarred by it. I think here it's an interesting story for Wolverine to go through right now of kind of dealing with his own sins and dealing with his own idea that he is a weapon. He, this is being reinforced to him by the way that Beast talks to him, that he is nothing more than a weapon. And it's of almost poetic and beautiful in a certain light that the this is what he has to do to himself to kind of get through what he's doing because he doesn't have any control. Wolverine is completely without control right now. That's also another part of it is that Wolverine almost can't stop doing this for himself because he there is not there is nothing there it is just an empty void right now yeah and the parts of wolverine that are here are boiled down to their really like primal elements in a way um i'm thinking a lot about the page where um between the combination of reap and Dermata's art and uh percy's like narration wolverine is pacing back and forth in his cage and he snicks out his claws and then he frustratingly snacks, snacks them back as he walks backwards, as he thinks about how tired he is of waiting and then pulls them back out again. The body language, the posture, everything tells you so much about how he's feeling about his struggle. And then when he gets out, the main thing he thinks is, you know, I'm still alone, but this is the good alone. It's freedom that he's thinking yeah. of, as opposed to the bad alone, slavery. And I don't know, it's, it's, it's very moving without saying too much or even showing too much. Great economy of emotion there. Yeah, I think this is a, a great Wolverine story, and it's only a story that you could only tell with Wolverine at all. Um, if like you were to tell it with another character, you probably would have ramifications. I think that also too. Sometimes the writers try to make the characters connect with us on a human level in ways that they maybe couldn't normally do, um, and I think Finn Percy's trying to use that desire to feel pain to exercise the bad from wolverine to to connect with some people i do i i think sometimes it's dangerous because especially in the scrocoan era um you know a, a character could self-mutilate or self-harm themselves and once they get to a point where they are mentally well they could decide to go through the crucible and resurrect or, or something of that sort and i think it's a little bit dangerous in that way um but i think it's fair to use wolverine in that manner because he's a character that has been used that way in the past in some ways um 
especially with his drinking and the reasons why he drinks so much because he drinks to feel something when the alcohol usually just burns off like that um so and, that go ahead i mean just to you know so often these stories treat like the anger of alcoholism and the need to shoot off guns as like and like to get into bar fights it's like a badge of honor so like if you're going to create this honorific out of this sort of damage and pain and say that it's this Hemingway-esque Santiago pissing off the side of a boat kind of magical moment for men, using it as a, a point of, but look what we're saying is an honorific and a badge of excellence that you want this character to go through. Not, you know, us in particular, but this, you know, push for the darkness and the pain using it as a way to explore it is really brave and really a smart way to give people what they're looking for while advancing the idea. Yeah. And it's apropos that this is the, you know, 90s episode, because I think that is a very 90s way to conceive of a character. Um, that is, you know, 90s Wolverine gets into the bar fights because, you know, he he deserves the pain, but he's also got to be there for people. And I think we've evolved the character a lot. He also loses his nose too. So exactly, <laughs> Which, you know, he devolves to evolve. Um, we've evolved the character a lot. He's been in a very interesting place. I really do appreciate that Percy is so committed to working with Wolverine and exploring. I think for me, this is reaching a point of diminishing returns and a point of this has gone on a bit too long i really like steve your enthusiasm for it kind of gives me a fresh lens to rethink it a little bit but for me even though everything is good in the issue itself that we are here is a, maybe a little bit ill-advised and that we're here for beast after this long in companion with companionship with what we're going to see in the X-Force issue. It's like if Beast were doing this to him in issue 15, I would be here for what's happening to Wolverine. I would be here with, for what's happening to Beast. And like clearly something is wrong. At this point, it just like the point was made a while back. And then I was like, okay, I'm on board for now. We got to deal with Beast. Oh, okay. We're going to do a dozen more issues of this. Oh, um, that is where I lose a little bit of steam for my enthusiasm. But I think all of the beats are right for Percy as a writer. I just think editorially, this has gone on a long time. TK, I, I hear you and I completely agree there because this is a rebirth of enthusiasm for me in the last two months. Uh, for a long time, I really lost steam on these books, which were some of my favorites coming out of the original uh, Krakoan era. It's just X-Force floundered for a really long time during the Destiny of X and the Judgment Day fiasco and debacle there. The yeah, Quentin yeah. arc, I don't want to get into it. And then there were <laughs> threads that just felt like they were never coming back. And now that they are coming back, it's like, okay, cool. I have renewed interest in this. But we have to remember that comics are a four-dimensional medium in, in that time plays a factor. And so for a very long time, I was buying comics that I was kind of regretting in the middle. And yeah. now, I'm getting, now I'm getting a good end to the story. But I honestly don't feel like I needed to read about uh, 15 issues in between. And, yeah. you know, that's really sure. rough. I'm I'm here for this comic because I think that there's a significant uptick in the quality yeah. of storytelling. Suddenly, I think things are coming back into play. Sometimes long-term storytelling works, and sometimes you need to do more than, like, just leave a plot simmering in the background and not simmering. It's just off. The stove is off. It's gone cold, and you need to reheat it now. 
And, and I guess my worry is that also that this isn't the end. <laughs> it's like somehow, true. somehow in a year we're going to be like, and Beast is still doing war crimes. Yes, I true. I was going to. That is going to happen. That is like we saw him arrested at the end of this issue. I spoilers. I've read the next issue. It's not going to stick. Right. Weapons of X thing coming. Yeah. But like, yeah, it's going to be this time that next year we're going to be like, up. Oh, they're finally going to do it. <laughs> I, I I hope Beast so goes great. like hee ho war crimes. He gets like a little gremlin about it. <laughs> be like Colossus, finally we're gonna get some justice for that girl. Yeah. Years from now, Domino will be like, hey, remember two years ago when I mentioned that I wanted to start talking? No, no. About Domino me? doesn't remember things. That's the okay. point. <laughs> <laughs> it's very good. It's 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 super frustrating the yeah. pace of this run, and I know that people have called it comics fans not knowing how to wait, but the fact is that month in and month out month out we are expecting to actually buy a story because yeah. that's what comics are comics are not just a book that is cut into infinitesimal pieces over years it is stories that link up and, and yeah that's... Has really stopped giving us 36 issue runs True. so we kind of can't be blamed for not necessarily always knowing how to react because like if we get 24 issues these days we're really surprised and excited and those 24 issues better be pretty tight because you never know when that's going to happen again. Percy writes like it's 1995, and I love that for him. I love the like freedom of that. But as a reader, since it's 2023, <laughs> I don't know what to do with somebody who's writing like that these days. To be completely fair as well, and this is the last thing I'll say about the length, but to be completely fair, it, I, it sounds and it is totally stupid to compare this run to Immortal Hulk, for example. Obviously, yeah. a stupid comparison to make for almost any superhero book ever made, but yeah, you no, know, it, yeah. it's it's fifty issues in the modern era, but at least it does give you like a story each issue or a two parter, you know, stuff like that. And it does feel like for a long time we've been getting stories, but they're not the stories that were set up and we were hoping. I, for the I, I would dare say I've gotten more out of more of per value out of issue from Avengers, and it's a gargantuan run than I have from some of the Percy. Wolverine X Force stories, and, and and it's just and it's not even that it, the quality gets bad. It's just that it kind of drones on, and you're like, what's going on? Two really long telling, two really long form storytells stories that he has been telling though have been about uh, Beast and his ever growing evil sea villainy. <laughs> um, you know, I think I believe it was in Immortal X Men where Sinister was talking to Dark Beast, and he's like, ha ha ha. You're not even the darkest of the beasts anymore. And I was like, oh, snap. Um, and Sage's um, issues that have led her into alcoholism. Um, you know, as we sort of wrap up this segment and get into the last few minutes of it, you know, I wanted to give people a chance to talk about Beast and his going into his really long striking the villainy and Sage's um, issues that have really been featured prominently in these two issues here. I feel for me personally beast seemed even more evil in this wolverine issue doing that to his friends and you know then he did in the x-force thing like that that just seemed like something oh i expect him to have a prison moon of course he would have a prison moon and embezzle money to get it and hire maverick why not but like him enslaving wolverine to do his bidding causing a um crisis when you know his brainwashed Wolverine or his lobotomized Wolverine doesn't quite go through with the execution the way he wanted it to be go, you know, him, him blaming Wolverine for it. I was like, dude, this is your fault. Like, seriously, this is your fault. 
Um, and I did love the moment we got to see between uh, Sage and Domino, where Sage is like, I am sorry that I hurt you. And Domino's like, okay, cool. That's done. That's over. Let's 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 work on you. Right I don't now. remember it. Yeah. She's like, I don't remember it. Let's let's get you good. Let's get you good. We love you, Sage. Let's get you good. Um, where are y'all with these two stories? I, I feel like, hmm, I don't really care about the B storyline anymore. It's, it's kind of crazy to say that, but at, at this point, he's just a villain, and I don't need to worry about how he's going to be redeemed because I don't think he will be. I don't think he deserves to be. Uh, Beast should be in the dark. You should have to wait there because he's bad and the dark is bad. Um, but I am uh, very interested in the friendship that is developing between Sage, Domino, and Omega Red. I think they're really... Yes! Seeing Sage and Omega Red attempt a mutant circuit that helps them find Beast for justice is really interesting. Seeing Sage and Domino talk about the the distancing and alienation of being away from field work but being responsible for more blood than you can imagine and the way that you have to process the fact that you're doing all this but you're not seeing it all so you can tell yourself that you're not doing it on some level. And then the consequential, the drinking, the, the messing up at work, the leaving her friends and not being holding Beast to accountability... All of that is really interesting to me. And I it was the most soapy, extremely hand-fisted. I did not enjoy the dialogue super much of like, I hate you as much as I hate myself. You know, it was very ridiculous. But honestly, using like the alcohol that she has made a commitment to like step away from as possibly the most badass way to attack a beast with the flame thing and the phosphorus, like... Ben Percy will give that moment to any male character any day of the week to prove how badass they are, and we can roll our eyes at it all we want. But Sage doing it in this context, especially, yeah, getting yeah. to do that like with the alcohol that she's just thrown away, which I don't know how it didn't break. She throws it on the floor the second time, just shatters. <laughs> Obvious. I was like, oh, it's a plastic bottle, and she throws it down and it breaks. I'm like, <laughs> it's that Emma Frost's <laughs> fatal flaw thing. I'm into that. Um, so for me, for Beast. I said it before in previous issues when I issues when I was covering X Force, it got a little cartoony in a way where it didn't really feel believable in the realms of like really. I understand there's so much shit going on, and I don't pretend that Krakoa is perfect. And clearly, with all these different titles, we see a lot of the different shit that's going on, and that's great. But like, there was a certain point where I was I was hitting that I was like, this just feels ridiculous that he's just getting like we can't keep letting him get away with this. We can't keep letting him get away with this, and they do. And they continue to let him get away with things, and it feels weird to me. Because he's not even white anymore. He's blue now. And, like, I feel <laughs> like there should be some sort of racism against the fact that he's blue. It's just one of those things where I was a little bit interested in the beginning of X-Force, where Beast was like, if I, someone needs to be an asshole, and I'm, I'll be that asshole. And that part I was interested in. But then it just delved into a level of villainy and cruelness that... I don't exactly know how you bring the character back from. Yeah. I am. I was very excited to see him be arrested and get kind of get his comeuppance, but I guess it doesn't really stick because it's Beast and it's not as interesting. My, so, but I will say, I think there were parts of it that I did enjoy. Maybe if we trimmed it a little bit and had it feel a little more secretive of like people either questioning more or Beast going about things in a lot more dark you know, underground way where nobody was really paying attention, then I could really get on board with everything that was going on. 
I do have a little bit of a problem with Sage's storyline revolving the alcohol, and I'm going to put it in a weird way. It almost felt like she went through the hero's journey with alcohol, and I don't okay. really think it's the proper narrative to cover a topic like alcoholism. There were parts of it that I enjoyed, in a weird way of saying that, of like Sage at her low point of messing up at work because she was so drunk that she got her friend killed. I think that was a really good and clear ramification. But it's going to take a lot more to like really um, kind of talk about an issue like alcoholism and having someone overcome it. It felt a little like we kind of skipped a couple of milestones and a couple of steps of yep. dealing with alcoholism that I wasn't really appreciative of. Uh, I also agree some of the dialogue was a little hammy in a way that I was like, I don't, uh, this feels a little stilted. However, there were parts of it I may not have enjoyed this journey, but I am appreciative of what we got out of it, especially this ending, because I actually do enjoy the chemistry of Omega Red and Sage. I thought that a pairing I never would have thought of before this, and it was actually really interesting to see their relationship grow, whatever that looks like. I am really appreciative that we also kind of got Sage in a really badass moment because she's kind of just been sitting at her desk, her poor back, for not only carrying Krakoa, but like just sitting all day. Like, girl, you need to do a little bit of exercise. Um, I really, uh, you know, that moment, I think people forget that Sage was the first field agent, actually. And uh, let her go back. <laughs> yeah. I, I got to say, like, this is it's great to see. Sage has pretty much probably been one of the few characters who's only been written really by one writer before. Like, literally, like, Chris Claremont wrote probably 90% of Sage's story up until now. So, like, yes. it's, it's 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 cool to see Sage get picked up by somebody else, but do I love the direction of it? Not so much. I love the data page with Hope and Beast, and I wish we... I wish that we... Hank did not have as much um poll that he could override a council member and god damn it why did hank mccoy become the worst hank in the marvel universe well i'm just fascinated that <laughs> we can like genuine the problem is we can believe it that's the problem yeah, yeah. so you know m that's that's my last thoughts on on this you know just that it, it's too believable that beast sucks this much hank pip is, is quaking <laughs> i mean i thought what was going to be great about this was that we could believe it and that Hank and Charles as OGs, you know, if we look at the six of them, you've kind of got everybody in various, like, moral, uh, various corners of the moral uh, Cartesian plane. And I like the idea that it was Hank and Charles in a little bit of cahoots being like, we will do this for the greater good. And seeing what I thought was going to be like some real passion and love for mutants put against what they believed was best to keep mutants safe. It just has really gone off the rails. And Beast is a character that I really love. And I, it's now literally like at a certain point, you have to stop loving a person who is yeah. horrible. And I, this is, this is insane. This has really gone beyond the point of any possible redemption. Absolutely. And, it's just, you know, it's unfortunate to me, but I, at the very least, I really do want to deal with it. So I hope we, we get there. But up next, we have some great stories to talk about, right, Nico? Oh, we sure do. But before that, we have, we have our new rule, which is everybody on their way out the door has got to say, 
where we can find them. And since we're having a very special 90s themed episode, I would love to get extreme. I would love to get your uh, 90s pick on your way out the door. So, Steve, Jonah, please uh, love us with your location and uh, with your 90s top pick. Hmm. Well, is does it? My name, my name is Steve, and you can find me on Twitter at Howdy Duda. That's H O W D Y D U D A. Does it have to be an X Men from the nineties? No. no. Uh, I mean, like, if I had to choose just an X Man from the nineties, it's Bishop all the way, right? If I had to choose a nineties mutant character, it's Sunspot. X Force was the shit in the nineties. If I had to choose any nineties Marvel Comics character, oh my god. So many of them were alive in the 90s. I'd have to say Dean because he appeared in one issue of Avengers at that time. <laughs> Great pick. Love yeah. it. Jonah, where can everybody find you, Hanson? Over on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. That's P-E-A-K. And my 90s pick is Chamber. Hot. Oh, so good. Yeah. All the Gen X kids. Well, we can't wait to have you back on the show, both of you. But until then, we're going to keep things rolling with some Infinity Comics. And I... Bye! Bye! Get them out of here. We're done with them. (laughs) Well, I do believe that uh, for this one, uh, it is Mr. TK that Mm -hmm. is 1,000% in charge, right? Mm-hmm. So I do believe we also have some noobs coming in on the show. Not noobs. Like they've been on the show a million times, but new to the segment. And uh, I'm going to secretly change into my next outfit while you guys do this. Do it. And let's bring in um, some some faves so they can introduce themselves to cover Nico's uh, costume change. I just see Hi, friends. Hi. How we doing? Hi there. Sorry for I'm having technical difficulties, so I treat you to a villains gallery by Jim Lee. That is a gorgeous villains gallery, and uh, you know, Uh, sound off. Introduce yourself. Uh, I'm Arturo, and uh, I'm coming live and direct from Miami here to talk Infinity Comics with you all. And who's your '90s pick, Arturo? I'm gonna just go with. And nothing to do with Rob Liefeld, but I will just go with, like, X-Force in general. Um, yeah. Specifically, like, Richter and Boom Boom. Mm-hmm. Um, Good they choices. Just, they just kind of came in towards the end of the New Mutants run, and then they just became such great characters in X-Force that uh, those my faves. And it's the heart of my heart. Introduce thyself. Hello, everyone. I'm Jake. You can find me on uh, the internet, uh, specifically on Twitter at uh, Omega Sentinel. That's O H Mega Sentinel. And my '90s pick is this uh, this baby emo baby archangel right here. the The shirt matches his skin color of this era. I couldn't really go full blue, but my wow. favorite my favorite emo moment of uh, the X Men '90s was Archangel just crying everywhere about how sad he was. I well, it's really sad when your girlfriend. Sadness is a color, and it is the color is Archangel. It's sad yeah. when your girlfriend shows back up as a phalanx and starts, like, spewing out phalanx stuff from her various cuts and orifices. Let's be clear. Yeah. Every girlfriend every girlfriend Archangel has ever had is so much cooler than him. That is really Bad. true. End Bad. of sentence. Also, the Archangel. fact that her name sounds like something Paula Dean would make is deeply upsetting. y'all. <laughs> 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 I'd say Archangel got the best uh, makeover of the 90s. 
Oh yeah. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. Big time. Oh yeah. Like this whole thing, like a pink and blue costume situation was cutting edge. Like look at that that going into from the eighties into the nineties. It was a it was a moment and and we we lived it. Interesting. It's like my least favorite. I thought what? the best I did I just I'm crazy, I know. But I, I don't know. I thought the best uh redesign for the nineties uh probably went to Caliban. Oh, well, I mean, thematically similar. I mean, it was a, it was yep. an apocalypse Nico, makeover. I know exactly why you like that. Because he got big. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, got huge. Uh, our little Midnight Society is here <laughs> to discuss a round of Infinity Comics. Uh, the first of which uh, is written by Torin Grinbeck with art by Philip Sevy. And colors by Ceci de la Cruz and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. This is a cute little story about Danny and Hope. And yeah. talk about that. Like, I don't, there's, this is great, but I don't have a ton to say about it. I'm so stoked yeah. that Torn Grimbeck wrote an X Men story. Yeah. That's like the most exciting thing here. So I was disappointed. The only reason I was disappointed, it was a great story. And the only reason I was disappointed is because Torin Grunbeck wrote it, and we didn't really get into like any Danny Valkyrie shit. Like, yeah. if you if you got Torin Grunbeck writing Danny Moonstar, you you need to get into the Valkyrie of it all. Good point. I I super thought that like I, I mean this like the best possible way you can mean something. There's been this like super really cool generation in the last couple of years at Marvel of uh, what I affectionately refer to as Tumblr's feeling comics. And I love Tumblr Feelings comics. I think they're really great. And I think sometimes not enough happens in a Tumblr Feelings comic to yeah. earn my $3.99, $4.99, $6.99 fucking kidney. And so I'm always thrilled when they find their home in an Infinity comic. And one yeah. of the things that I thought... Yeah, exactly. And the thing I thought was so great about this is Torin Grunbeck was like, listen, here's my agenda. Redheaded women. Get the fuck out. <laughs> it's a solid agenda. Yeah. I mean, hey, we got Dark Web just based on redheads alone. So it's, there you go. You know. Hi, I want my memories back, even though I have all your DNA and I don't plan on giving that back. It's a whole thing. I mean, story. It's a story about hope. Both issues, things happen in it. Um, she has some insight. She interacts with people who are important to her. Um, it is definitely an Infinity comic. Yes. Which is not to trash Infinity comics because I got to say our next segment coming up is some of the best comics I've read lately. Just it was a really fun story. We'll get there. But um, yeah, I, I'm, I love Infinity comics as its own category of stuff where stories can happen that aren't these big you know apocalyptic no well that was a bad choice of words apocalyptic <laughs> but these big blockbuster crossover you know we gotta sell 18 different variants and all of that like hype stuff this is just so much like more wholesome not these stories specifically just infinity comics in general that's, yeah that's completely true and like the, uh, the on that basis this story completely carries yeah. and, and you know x-men unlimited as a as a title historically has been about these short run self-contained mm -hmm. stories that may yeah. or may not have ramifications in the greater storyline so as far as hashtag being sienna blaze 
and and hashtag Magneto at at uh at well uh oh I forgot her name's grave. That's really Magda? bad. Thank you, Magda. Thank you. There's been so much retconning. I have forgotten some of the finer details of uh, Magneto's early '90s moments. Yeah. Um, so I mean, like as as far as being like a self-contained story with some character growth that may or may not come back to haunt us, it does a good job. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I think when we say it's definitely Infinity comic. And we're very clear to establish that's not an insult. No. there's We can agree that for a business to do a lot of feelings comics, there's going to be the subset of people who say, I don't come to comics for feelings. I come for action. And I can't believe I paid for this. I don't agree with those people all the time. Uh, you know, there's time and a place for everything. And I think you can put feelings comics in print and I want to buy them. But... You are very safe to do so in a form like this where you can say, well, it was, you didn't pay, we just put it in there. Like, you didn't have to read it. Um, And I think it's a really important thing to think about when it comes to the medium going forward because we do need to do some of this emotional work, especially in a time like Krakoa where so much is happening. And, you know, it's got to happen somewhere. So I'm not necessarily... It's definitely not an insult, and I think it's kind of a really important tool in the toolbox. Yeah, no, it, it's it's great. I love. I, I think those two issues didn't really do much for me. I think I've seen some of the feeling comics like Karma and Love do a little bit better and more for the characters that they're doing for. It, it was it was a great story. It was a fun read. I definitely enjoy it as a value added piece of my Marvel Unlimited subscription. But yeah, I, I would would I have been satisfied if i bought that story in comic form and paid four six ten whatever dollars for it no i wouldn't have been but by contrast another different type of marvel story that we get is this kind of au it was all a dream um might this be an incredibly important thing that comes up later that we have this first little reference to or was this just a little fun one-off and I'm talking about issues t- 62 through 67, written by Jordan Bloom, with art by Salva Espin, colors by Israel Silva, and letters again by Joe Sabino. Uh, the age re-apocalypse, people. Who knew? Okay, so, like, I was so excited for this. Like, it solved what it's... Okay, so <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. It solved, like, my biggest problem with the age of apocalypse, looking at it now from a, from a House of X era x-men thing where you're like why the fuck was moira ken ross with the trasks like yes like so cool it solved that that was like trash trash moira trash 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 trash. um but like i i I love that it it saw it solved that problem for me it it did a great thing but the the whole thing with nightmare and okay was it a dream or was it an alternate reality and and like, okay, if it was a dream, cool. But then, like, why did we get the like continuing thing afterwards where they're like, oh, we're gonna plant Krakoa in this island? And then, like, okay, if it's not a dream, <laughs> what does it do to blink to the character that we know and love? Because her, like, Moira's powers, like, would they have just erased Blink out of existence altogether? Like, I'm just so like fucking confused at parts of it. I loved it, but I'm really confused. <laughs> Well, you know, in an infinite multiverse, anything is possible. Yeah. 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 Is it, was it a multiverse or was it a dream? Yes, both. Yeah. It was, you know, Xavier 
it's whatever the next writer decides it was when they pick up on this story. If the so, multiverse of madness taught me anything, it's that when you sleep and dream, that dream is a multiversal <laughs> realm. Okay, so I want to introduce something that I've been working on for the show, and it actually has to do with this. One of the things that I find implausible is that the narrative of reality is unending and untouched except when it's being manipulated. That is to say that for my money, at any given moment, all of Marvel reality is being feasted upon by these sort of like time vultures like Kang and any number of people who are always fucking about the time stream, right? Which means at any given moment, even if we're only seeing them mess with Avengers, right? They're still also messing with Hulk and with Fantastic Four and with the X-Men. Mm -hmm. And so when we see things where all of a sudden Apocalypse is like, you know, Big Daddy A and we have to kind of make allowances for these changes, it's because somewhere else that we haven't seen has manipulated reality in a way that the resultant change allows for what feels implausible but exists because of a retcon. So, like, for me, is this a dream or is this an AU? It's a little bit more about the fact that reality is shaped by the viewer. It's the mm -hmm. Mount, it's the, the reverse Mount Fuji thing. The reverse of Mount Fuji only exists in our eyes because it's a reflection. So, really, whether or not reverse Mount Fuji exists is kind of, like, unimportant to the idea that we see it and recognize it and interact with it. So is this a dream or an AU? It doesn't really matter because it's mm -hmm. a reflection of how reality has changed. Mm -hmm. That's that's such a great way of approaching comics and continuity. And the, I, I love that um, that perspective. I just, this for me was... <laughs> it is exception for it. <laughs> this for me was, um, you know, I was, I was a fan of the X-Men 92, specifically House of 92 or House of XCX... And whatever. I do believe House of Charlie XCX is going to um, go <laughs> boom, boom, pow, uh, <sighs> like chickens dragging their style or whatever. Uh, at some point on the show, I have promised Nathan that we're definitely going to do it. Oh, oh. Or we're all like totally doomed. Okay, sorry. That's my favorite line. <laughs> Count me in for that because I love that shit. I love something. I love when a writer takes – when a writer is familiar enough with the source material – that when they decide to do like a spin on it or an homage to it or, uh, you know, a, an alt universe, you know, just very adjacent but different and they know their shit, it is so beautiful because you get these moments that rhyme or, or mm -hmm. reflect back and then you get these little riffs that are like, so like some of the things I really loved was you know, you see Magneto, you know, the Magneto's helmet and cape, and then the big reveal is it's Moira with Magneto as a baby strapped to her chest, <laughs> a la Cable, a la referencing when Moira turned him into a child. Like, there's so many layers to that, and then that it's her using his Omega power so she could continue leading What a gross fucking fetish she has! Just... I want to turn this old man into a baby! I'm going to make him a baby, and I'm going to strap him to my chest. No, she but... wants him to start over. She no, wants him to be a baby. Don't make this weird. Don't make this weird, Nico. Don't make it weird. This was good. Well, I mean, but like, like in our universe, it was mutant alpha who turned him into a baby so like, like 
Yeah. So Moira didn't technically turn him into a baby, but like it's not her fetish, it's his. Yeah. But like she's just there whenever he shows up as a baby. Like as soon as he's baby side, she's ready. Yes. Yeah. She's ready. She she, like what else was great um well i mean so one of the big things that being the warlock arm on doug like and then growing that into actual walking krakoa just magnificent i I loved the attention to detail with that because it was his look that he had in excalibur like it was like the exact same pretty much outfit that he had in x with the x and the caliber like a bullet um that he had then when uh he was living in death in uh savage land is destiny's adopted son mm-hmm. which like i wish we got to see destiny too but you know like moira and destinies we know <laughs> even in the age of apocalypse she's... i thought you were gonna say in modesto and i was like <laughs> in modesto yeah i think i missed one of the issues hold on but so here's my real question and we're we're coming to the end of this so this is an important thing that we need to talk about but like apocalypse as we conceive of him has changed so much since Krakoa started. And I think we've all decided that like probably a lot of stuff that we loved about Apocalypse before Krakoa kind of isn't going to fit with this retcon. Uh, It doesn't make the most sense. We can probably fudge it, but like I'm very interested in how everybody feels this kind of reworks Apocalypse, the myth of Apocalypse and his motivations in the age based on what we now know and how this kind of jives with what we now know. Okay, first of all, um, I challenge your premise just a little bit because I don't think this is exactly Apocalypse. I think this is Angel becoming, when when Angel became Apocalypse, right? This is like the final form of that. So, you know, going back to like that run of X-Force with uh, the Death Seed and all of that, like when apocalypse stood up and and you know flashed his big wings i read that as okay we're not exactly dealing with en sabanor anymore this is his descendant this is his next in line which in our world was warren worthington but then i have to push back and say yeah then the image so well, of actually, genesis yeah that work. was yeah the genesis yeah. was I mean, I don't think you're, Arturo, I don't think you're 100% wrong at all. I think, yeah. you know, it's a gestalt being. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Dark Angel wait. died in the Age of Apocalypse. But too. hold on. This is I, a rebooted reality. I have no, to ask, gonna... guys, but isn't the whole point that after disc one, you're only ever fighting Genova? Get out of here. <laughs> you know, it's a 90s episode. The joke works. TK, I think I think it's a good I think it's a, a point not not lost on this because I, I mean Apocalypse's turn to Krakoa and the Krakoan era and uh you know moving into other world and and you know rescuing his people it 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 made me rethink you know the the entire age of Apocalypse Apocalypse to begin with is that an Apocalypse who lost the plot is that an Apocalypse who said you know what I'm never never going to be able to get back there I'm never going to be able to raise enough of a power force to like make that happen so you know i'll just conquer the world great um that's what that feels like to me it it feels like the apocalypse of uh the 616 is is one that you know realized that he would never do that but then found krakoa and was you know had a new hope rekindled and that's 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 what we got and is that your last thought i want to give that to you and then i want to let everybody else it's my last apocalyptic thought 
calling for some last thoughts on this uh, Age of Apocalypse Redux. I, I think this uh, Age of Apocalypse Redux was cool in a way because like that game in X-Men 92, the Sega Genesis game, sometimes you just have to hit the reset button on your Sega Genesis <laughs> to keep playing the game because you don't know why, but you have to reset it. But anyway, that that was... Um, but besides that, I would say uh, that um, I, it, it was cool to see these characters that we knew and loved re-envisioned in a new sort of way with new uh, different lore. Um, I did love I did love seeing Moira and uh, Heroic Roglin. That was really happy for me. I really enjoyed it. I, I'm on the record with that. I, uh, you know, it was the kind of story that I was very eager to read the next issue and sometimes that's all i really need from comics so i thought this was a blast mm -hmm. it reminded me just to have fun like it was you know i feel like sometimes like with the amount of stories that green has gotten Ooh. like it <laughs> sometimes feels like unlimited oh infinity God, yeah. comic is punishing <laughs> not yeah, punishment so not like it's painful but it is punishing to get through yeah. And yeah. this was just a silly little fucking pleasure. And um dun 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 Sephiroth. <laughs> and like it's he's it's yeah, yeah, some some infinity comics I definitely scroll through a lot faster than others. This was <laughs> this was one that uh yep. if if I got a criticism, it's that I could have done with a little more of this. Like Oh yeah, and I'm going back and reading this one. On I was bones. stoked to read it for the show. Yeah. Yeah. Um and I, you know, I ended as I started to wrap up the segment, I ended up on that image of Moira holding Charles and the baby Magneto, who is crying. Are you old enough to understand what's happening, baby? I don't know, but okay. Um, there's some real beauty here, too. Like, yes, sure. it's fun and yeah. silly, but, like, this is a world where the three of them loved each other. And, yeah. like, they... It, Magneto's dead. Moira's a fucking robot demon. Like, things have gone so awry, but we have Krakoa, so I don't know. It made me think a lot. It's really beautiful, and uh, I want to thank you all for joining me to talk about it. And I want to take a quick break and then come back to talk about some uh, Mars politics. I... Oh, wait, so it's my favorite thing in the world to do. Let's roll commercial. <laughs> oh, no. I've been taken over with the techno-organic virus. Oh, no, shit. Oh, no. Oh, no, it's so 90s. Time to send you to the future. Oh, I gotta man. go fight later on. Wait, so now I'm a baby, too? What is it with gray-haired, sexy muscle men getting turned into babies on this shit? That's crazy. <laughs> and I love that um, name. Nathan's got a costume change. Full, full sugar. That's the full rogue right there. <laughs> and we've got a new face. Oh, it's so good to have you back. We missed you so much. Introduce yourself. Oh, right. Um, hi. So I'm Evelyn, the Comic Canary. Um, yeah. Hi. I've been around. Life happened. Now I'm back. <laughs> and we're so glad you are. Yeah, we're stoked. And we gather here to talk about uh, the penultimate. Uh, is this this is the penultimate issue, right? I think we're. 
we're doing Brotherhood, uh, Storm in the Brotherhood, and then uh, taking a break. Yeah. Yeah. So, penultimate issue of X Men Red, penultimate issue of a big kind of status quo story change we've been waiting to see for a while. And I'm on the edge of my seat. Sound off, friends. So, okay, here's my big thing about X Men Red that I am really pleased by because when you have. Because there's like Omega level mutants, you know what I mean? And then there's like Omega level mutants, right? Because like, <laughs> like, cause don't get me wrong. Like, yeah. Oh, cool. Hall and Oates is coming around. I love Hall and Oates. That's going to be, oh, the Eagles are coming around. Well, that's going to sell out. I'm not going to go on the parkway that day. I'm not even like a bigger Eagle. I'm a bigger Hall and Oates fan than Eagles fan. But I understand the cultural impact, the gravitas, the weight, and like, there is so much like just enormity in this book that I would just assume that X-Men Red doesn't have room for its balls between its legs. But <laughs> somehow, despite having Storm and Magneto, and that's like the tippest of the, yes, Holland Oats is in fact coming to town. Um, that's just the tippest of the iceberg. This book has room for so many powerhouses and I just don't know how. And it's excellent because none of them suffer for space. Oh, right. Except I would like to accidentally lock Agent Brand in a trunk full of water and forget she's there. <laughs> Sit on the trunk. Have the trunk shipped to Abu Dhabi, Odie Normal style, a la Garfield. Enjoy a piece of lasagna further, a la Garfield. Hear back that Agent Brand is thoroughly in Abu Dhabi and no one is willing to open the box because as far as they're concerned, it's Schrodinger's brand and she's just in there. And we never have to think about her sick ass ever again. But don't we just love to hate her, though? I yes. do. I, yes. <laughs> I do. I do. I love to hate her more than I love to hate Beast gotta say True. i enjoy i enjoy her brand of evil that's why i love this cover it just i feel like it really shows like how much like she really is into manipulating just everyone around her and it it just it encapsulate, encapsulates like what's been happening over the last few issues of her just trying to put the people into the place where she thinks that they're gonna thrive and I'm ready to see Storm kick some butt. <laughs> well, I loved I loved watching uh, Gabriel thrive out of that resurrection. Yeah, and, and it for me not just like him looking super hot and on fire, but the payoff of this story that has been kind of seeded throughout very lightly, like sprinkled possibly, and not really touched much since we saw, uh, you know, Gabriel on the on the moon right when under yeah. Hickman's pen like mm -hmm. it's this i don't know he's been around now enough since he was resurrected that we're like oh it's just another you know himbo summer's brother <laughs> but when he was resurrected it there was this big like what the fuck moment like why are we bringing back that guy <laughs> and i love that like those misgivings uh you know were there for a reason and uh and here we are. We got the payoff and we got the, the mask revealed. Oh, yeah. Oh, I really want him and uh, Deathbird to have a kid and name it Strife just to piss everyone off. Everyone <laughs> off. I, I think what I'm most impressed with in that is that 
I we often see stuff in Krakoa and go, not another thing. Like, who's ever going to pay that off? Mm-hmm. And I think this is a really fantastic example of something that got seeded really early on. Did not need to be paid off right then. I did not see that, you know, the, the, the Petra Sway, like, what was ultimately just a mistake. But, you know, <laughs> right. that... Yeah, that's... Gabriel is always a mistake. <laughs> uh, or making them. Um I didn't see anything about him and think like, oh man, we need to pay that off now. But I did think it's on my list. Like I do need to know what's going on. And it's a really important proof of concept that Ewing figured out how to pay that off while doing so much other stuff, while giving Magneto the most glorious death ever. I mean, like this has been such a solid 10 issues. I mean, it's, it's really, it's really spoken to, I mean, like it's it's really paid off on this theme exploring the um, the value of a collective community versus like a hierarchical community. Where Abigail Brand, you know, tried to pin Storm into this regent of Mars, regent of Sol. She's the queen. She sits on a throne, and Storm was like, "Fuck no! I'm organizing a brotherhood, and we're gonna work together. And we're gonna be equals in partnership." You know, the reason Abigail Brand is lost is because she worked alone and put everyone beneath her and had no confidence and had no one to share her information with. The reason Gabriel lost is because he thought himself above everyone and took no opportunity to make mutant circuits, to share power, to share ideas. You know, this whole book has been exploring the idea of what happens when we pool our resources and ideas equally and not hierarchically. And it's just been a beautiful, man, a beautiful, like... Uh, 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 crystallization of that theme. And what I love about that is Bobby is proof, uh, uh, Beto is proof that you can do that and still think you are better than everyone. Like, you can still think you are the hottest guy in the room, the richest guy in the room, the best leader, and still think, like, leaders are still leaders of a collective in which everybody is important. And he still comes to the table. He still comes to the table. And he recognizes deference to Magneto, which I think is important. But he does think he is the hottest person there, and he is frankly not wrong. It's a a very hot, hot group already. But I wanted to... Oh, please, no, Nathan. Okay. Something I loved, uh, Evelyn, you mentioned the cover. I loved how the cover really portrayed a lot of how Abigail Brand is acting a lot like uh, Saturnine back in the day. Uh, This really evokes an old Excalibur cover where, you know, we've got um, all the Excalibur chess pieces on the board and Mm -hmm. on this one. So, like, and in that same way as in Saturnine and Merlin and Roma, like, these beings and abigail brand can be blindsided by some by not paying attention enough she has enough of the big picture figured out that she's like oh cool maybe i don't need to worry about this one little detail and bam just like those three she gets kind of blindsided and her plan gets derailed by that one actor that she underestimated and you know i i just really have a a weird thought about like the nature of X-Men Red and Vulcan's trajectory. I think one of the things that stands out the most for me with Beto in particular is Vulcan is unwilling to believe that he's not really that great. And here it's like, <clears throat> I'm not here to like, cause anybody can be like, you're not right about this. And that's totally cool. But for me, Beto is 99% hyper confident and 1% hyper dramatically completely uncontrollably without the ability to ever come back from it falling in a pit at all times and 
it just he can't ever get close enough to that one percent. He always has to stay living in the ninety nine, all the way on the other side of it. And like everything about Vulcan is designed around the fact that he thinks you think about his one percent. But I think Beta wants you to believe that there is no one percent, and he'll do everything he can to lie to you. And there is something about the fact that Beto has to summon up every fucking ounce of strength and courage and balls and fire he has to go toe-to-toe with someone he knows could eat him. And, like, I really think there is something about, like, the shattered bravery in the name of his father that Beto is able to hold up. His father, who held his own heart together with his own magnetic powers, would be so proud. And I just thought it was a great moment. That neato. One thing, and I, you know, I would be remiss, or I think we would be remiss to review this issue and not touch on this. Um, one moment that I was not like, I mean, it was a great moment. Battle on the throne, the, you know, the battle reveal, magnificent. But dear Marvel, Beto is black. Beto is black. Beto is black. Like, He's like yeah. just yeah. fucking, and like we make strides forward, and it feels like, oh, okay, somebody heard, somebody's paying attention, and then you get something like this, and it's like, fuck, it's such a beautiful page, but goddamn it, you yeah. guys, the color yeah. is not great, the hair texture. We've had this conversation. I don't, you know, it's not my place to, you know, whatever, but goddamn, it's frustrating. We have had this conversation for 433 episodes. All the time. All the time. And it's one of those things. I believe but, I saw a response that mentioned the unique lighting because everything is on fire. Right. Which, like, I hear that. Sure. But because we that have fucked this up this for so long, yeah. we have this yeah. <laughs> exception. When it's magic other, fire that shows melanin beautifully. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like. This was a gag moment, and we had an earlier gag moment when um, he was up against the unbeatable. And even then, in like regular lighting, he still looked the same. And yeah. in one moment, it's it's an amazing, powerful, oh my god, what the fuck moment. But like bringing that up and like thinking about that, it kind of dims it somewhat. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's like, you know, sometimes I hear people make these comments about, you know, other characters, other art, and I'll be honest, sometimes I'm like, I see it, I don't, you know, but I just, whatever, I'm listening, right? Yeah. This is just an egregious, like, if you're not seeing this, you're willfully blind and not paying any fucking attention. It's, yeah. it's like, Agreed. it's a lot. Yeah, and this was a moment that was sort of foretold even back in New Mutants 1 with some of the alternate covers, like the Future Vision covers they showed yeah. uh, Beto on the throne of the Shar Empire. So, like, to, like, have this finally paid off and have the coloring and the, the hair choices so wrong for the character is, mm-hmm. is just devastating. It's also uh, it. It helps nobody's case that uh, we clearly see manifolds looking much more appropriate for his identity, and it feels more like somebody not recognizing who Beto really is. And I also want to bring up manifold and uh, Wizkid because they are two incredible characters that I feel like under Ewing's pen have really benefited from some stark leaps forward but 
have not gotten a ton of page time. And I get it. They can't drive a book in the same way that some of the leads have, but they deserve to get moved forward. And I think that is mm -hmm. one of the real talents of Ewing is that he is able to take a couple panels, a couple pages mm -hmm. and give you moments for characters that otherwise would not get them. But that we as fans reading for 30 plus years are thinking like, I remember that fucking kid from the exterminators. What is going on with him? Yeah. He hasn't been there that much, but everything he does is a fucking banger. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love these characters. I just want to see more of them. I want to see this book thrive. I don't know. I'm sad that it's over. Like, as you kind of like, it's over. Like, but like, what's next? I would love some X-Men Purple. Mm. I'm in for like X-Men Royal Magenta. I want something that celebrates, like, right. Well, it's, I, don't know. I like, I, okay. And you know, I, I'm not like the most up to date with the solicits or whatever, but I think maybe part of what, how I'm coping with that this is the end is that I'm in denial of it because <laughs> I was bent out of shape when they canceled sword but it was like oh look but now we have X-Men Red so I'm just waiting for the inevitable you know X-Men Magenta or whatever and yeah until I get that um, I won't be happy because Al Ewing Al Ewing ladies and gentlemen I'm really ready for X-Men Red Green Colorblind <laughs> I'm <laughs> And it comes with special lenses, and it's really actually inappropriate to put those videos up on YouTube without the person's consent. <laughs> I'm, you know what I'm ready for? Manifold and friends. Yeah, I do for want manifold only fans. Manifold. <laughs> I, no, no, Nico. God damn it. <laughs> no, I just. Yes, he's fine as hell, but he's just such a cool character and so like untapped potential. Just and and Ewing. Did you say on top? Oh, you said on top. Oh. <laughs> Well, and he's one of those characters, too, that's had such an interesting trajectory from, like, what was it, Secret Warriors to, yeah. uh, like, being a critical component mm -hmm. of uh, Hickman's Avengers and Secret mm -hmm. Wars and, like, the collapse of the universes and, like, the Manifold, not Manifold. Um, he's, a, he's, a, he's a cool character with a lot going on, and there's still a lot of story to tell there, for sure. I just really like mutants in space. It's just... Fun. It's it's stupid, but it works, and that's what I love about it. Is I feel like that's such a '90s thing too. Like just talking on the theme, it's just like these ridiculous concepts that we have going on, but it works and it's great. And I love space. I love X Men. Let's go. So my follow up to that for you, Evelyn, is how do you feel in particular about Xandra? I mean, I don't hate it. Yeah. She's a pretty bad character. <laughs> yeah, and like, oh. I don't know why. Like, if it's poorly written or poorly done justice, I immediately like, no, I want more. I need more. <laughs> if it's not done proper justice, I'm like, I need it more. I just and I think that's uh, Zandra to a T. Sorry, Arturo, go ahead. It's it's just Zandra's so tough because like, she it's such a step down from Lilandra. But it's Aww. like, it's, it's who we have now. And it should be a step up. And I think ultimately, like, we're going to see her if she's, she's ever allowed, to if she's, she's allowed to grow. Yeah. If, well, but you know how it is with kids in the Marvel universe, right? It's like, true. she could get kind of stuck at this, you know, aged like, uh, you know, Franklin Richards. But, uh, you know, I'm glad we got some Deathbird. I'll give you, I'll give you that. 
But guys, does that make her uh, Xavier's chicken select? Like, cause oh, no. stop it. Uh, uh. <laughs> okay, people do forget that she, she are is birds. a bird person. Oh, not just birds. a bird. Bird yeah, internet. They're a bird person. Is that why eggs are so expensive? <laughs> 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 Sorry. Oh no. All right, I'm, I'm calling for final thoughts. <laughs> Uh, X Men Red, love it. Want to see it get even redder? Yes. Um, Bring me X Men Maroon. Yeah, and like <laughs> the other thing is, and like I guess this is just way too late in the run to point this out, but as much as I love this book, what I would really love for it is for Araco to have its own book and X Men Red to have its own book because mm-hmm. all these powerhouses, Damn. there's room for them, but there isn't room for all of the phenomenal characters of Araco, each one of them more fabulous than the last. So. I'm going to say this has been one of the flagship X-Men books for me um, through, for this year. Um, I, I, Ewing and Gillen work really well together, playing off ideas off each other. Yeah. Um, I'd love to see what they've done. Um, I'm really hoping that X-Men Red continues. I, I thought we saw a confirmation it was, but I've I'm, got to find it. But like after Sins of Sinister, so I, I really hope it continues. I really hope we get to see what happens after there. Um, you know, the idea of Araco Al Ewing has created this magical group of characters that I, I really just need to know more of. Um, and the Krakoan mutants that he's used are amazing. And like, are we gonna ever get a like Sunfire ever gonna show up? Like, I guess not, but like, what's gonna happen with Sunfire and looking for Red Root? I don't know. Oh, and uh, those of you who will not be in any future segments tonight, but of course, always going to be back. You know, nobody ever leaves this show. It's like an orbit. Please do give your sign off and your 90s Marvel character of choice. After you, Evelyn. I'm in the next one. Oh. Oh. But she could still have final thoughts. I'm doing an outfit change. I do have final thoughts, though. I really want to say I have been loving just these omega level mutants playing off of each other like earlier with storm and magneto so if vulcan can just get over himself i would love to see what he and sunspot could do like create a whole new like solar system kind of thing Mm. if you wanted to like really try something like death star level like oh my god like i i feel like if they got over themselves like they can make an amazing like possibly like apocalyptic team (laughs) I hope Gabriel survives all of this in some oh, he will. form. Yeah, I I mean, and, you know, either way, give me, like, the dethroned emperor villain, you know, cast off into space. Or give me, you know, a reboot and uh, a sweet summer's boy again. But just don't get rid of him. He's He's too good and too dramatic to just toss away, so... Um, I am, well, I'll just sign off, I guess. I'm uh, Mr. Toybox on Twitter and Instagram, and this has been a delight. Um, yeah, so I love this book. I love the whole run. I loved everything Al Ewing has written. Wait, no, hold on. 90s character Arturo. Ooh, 90s character. We did them at the start, but We did them at the start, but I (laughs) Sorry! I'm I'm breaking the rules. I'm not saying more. You can can pick another one. Go for it. Or an X-Men. I'm saying Lobo. DC. Oh, good yeah. He got, yeah. he got like the the best uh you know revamp and I love the rumors that uh Jason Momoa's been cast as him and just Ooh, Lobo that's... did a lot for prepubescent Arturo 
growing up, and uh, I probably should not have read those comic books, but goddamn. Nobody should have, but we did. But we did, you little bastitches. All right, um, love of mine. Yes, what do you got? Uh, this book was good. I enjoyed this book. I would read everything Al Ewing wrote forever from now on. I might even go back and read The Hulk, which is very out of character for me. If you know me, I don't touch The Hulk, but I would read Ewing's The Hulk. Um, Mortal Hulk is uh, unto itself. It's not like any other Hulk. It's amazing. Read it. You won't. That's, yeah, this is this is what I hear. So I'm I'm excited for the future to follow this, this, this writer. I'm excited to follow these characters. Uh, Ace of Sinister? Goodness. Um, that's not yet, love. Um, but it's coming. Oh, it is coming. Shoot. It's in ten. Oh, we'll get there. Yeah. Oh well. Sorry. Guys. It's out. Who cares? It's out. All right, it's well, out, baby. I'm gonna just F- sign off now. So you can find me on the internet on the Twitter at Omega Sentinel. That's O H Mega Sentinel, and also on uh, Instagram at the Heart Farmer. And hi, uh... <laughs> Abba Marie over here. Uh... <laughs> Well, I want to thank you guys so much for being with us. Jake, Arturo, you guys, please come back as soon as you can. Jake, I don't think you've missed uh, a week in forever. And Arturo, you've been with us for like two years, as always. You know, please be with us all the time. We love you guys. And Evelyn, Evelyn, I'm so excited uh, for this next segment because this is like an actual magical homecoming in so many ways. Because we would not have the incredible voice we have in this next segment if it weren't for you. So uh, I'm so excited that you and Raven get to be in a segment together. That's so magical. But we also have some other new voices. And I'm not in charge. I just uh, needed to do some hostly stuff. So uh, I believe, Nathan, this is a... this is all you. All Morgan right, we're man. going into sable tooth, saber, sable tooth, saber tooth, <laughs> not sable tooth, saber tooth, and the X-Files number two. <laughs> so let's bring on our voices. Oh, hi. Oh, my <laughs> God. Hello there. Hey. Introduce yourself, y'all. What's up? Hey, Broadway, so- where can we find you at? Um, you can find me on Twitter at bway3rd. Um, I'm on Instagram, but that's a little more manic than my Twitter, so I don't know if you want that. <laughs> and give me your favorite '90s character. Um, uh, it's so unfortunate. I feel like, but it is Wolverine. I was raised by a Wolverine head. I um, wait. I love that. Um, one of my first action figures, my dad used to take me to go with him when he would pick up his comics. So I would get an action figure and it was the one where you like squeezed his legs. And was like, yes. Oh. Did you have the one where his mask came off and was a ring? No, I only had the, oh, the arms yeah. one, but I had a bunch of random. The height I had, of like, gay. Dadder star and stuff like that. Ooh, so um, cool. I think Maverick as well. There were a bunch of weird characters where it was like, why? Who are these people? Did you have Power Punch Rogue? No, I think also some of my sublimated sexuality was like, I don't buy girls' toys. And it's like, well, <laughs> there. Okay. Um, <laughs> you're chasing well, after the man toys for yeah. very specific reasons. But we'll get into that at puberty. Speaking <laughs> of sexuality. Uh, hey, Hello, Raven. Raven. <laughs> hey, do you like my 90s outfit, which is apparently back in fashion because bloom cookie never left (laughs) love it wow you can find 
Where can everybody find you in all of your glory? Basically, just look up uh, Sanguine Threads. You will find me on the TikToks and the Instagrams. I am so very unfrequent. I post like once a week. But I swear, if you start a good conversation, you cannot get me to shut up. So there's that. I would have fallen so in love with you in that look in the 90s. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, yeah, like, this is what I wanted to wear so bad in the 90s. But I was the child of a high school teacher and a coach. And he had a very nasty reputation that was well earned. So, yeah, I, he, he knew my grades before I did. And even though I was a really good student, it was awful. So, yeah, no, yeah, like, I wanted to wear this so bad. And no, my, I used to hang up like all the X-Men posters in my room. So my parents thought I was a raging lesbian. <laughs> and they weren't totally wrong. So. <laughs> my God, I had that Art Adams one in my room. I hid in my closet. <laughs> that would come back around. I know, right? Uh, Raven, who is your favorite 90s character? Okay, so I'm going to surprise some people. Blink. I freaking love such a good choice. Like, you know, of course I love Storm. Of course I loved the X-Men. That was like my choice of books. Oh, so much. But I loved Blink in the Age of Apocalypse because she was this just slender, mild, meek looking character at first, but she was so skilled. And like she used a very simple power to its absolute nth degree and i loved it she was so badass and i i i love that they finally brought her back they need to do better with her because you know i love her that's how i go <sighs> so let's get to the issue at hand here as it were so Sabretooth in the exiles number two so <gasps> going into this issue like i there's there's so much going on in this issue there is so much good core like just deep impactful writing and there is fun and goofy stuff going on at the same time it's it's so it's it was such an amazingly cool and a little bit manic read for me because i was like oh my god and then i was like oh but nanny and i was like oh wow they're actually going to do something cool and deep here and then i'm like oh, nanny um so where are we at with that saber 2 series as a whole going into second oh. second issue of the Sabretooth and the Exiles. Um, I, I gotta say, I think this is... I, I know I talk a lot about Immortal X-Men and X-Men Red being like sort of the flagship books of the X-Men, but I think this is probably one of the most well thought out and actually like issue-based series of the line right now. Uh, for me personally, where are y'all at with this? I think so, it's just, oh, oh by all means. I was going to say, so what people, um, I mean, you guys know, but what listeners may not know is I'm actually obsessed with Nanny and Orphan Maker. Yes. I have yeah. unironically loved, like, like I said in the last segment, I unironically love terrible, terrible characters that <laughs> have a point. Even if they're not doing it the right way, they have a point. And Nanny has a point. Let's protect our mutant children. And... Orphan Maker is just, he's so precious and dear and wholesome, and I just want to be Nanny and protect him, but I'm so curious what his freaking powers are, so I just, just well, I mean, we got a taste of it. just been in my wheelhouse. We, we, we did get a very small taste of, of what that power is, and wow. Like, at, at some point, like, I, I, I feel so bad for Peter, aka Orphan Maker, because he is 
so regressed, so, so, so freaking sheltered. But at the same point in time, we saw what a tiny crack in his helmet did. So, like, the precautions around him are so, so, so needed. And, like, I understand why there's, like, so much protection around him but at the same point I feel so bad for the poor guy because it's not his fault he just wants to be a good kid and and he is he's the apocalypse incarnate so it's like oh I feel bad for him but this was such a good book and it didn't flinch at giving you some hard information that I'm sure a lot of people have never read before and I think the thing that makes it dynamic is it's not like any other book in that it's an unteamed like mm-hmm. other books, they're united for a common goal. This book, they're fucking stuck with each other. They're going to yeah. deal with it and they're going to make it work. But it's kind of like a Tim Gunn moment. It's like a very aggressive, very kind of frightening Tim Gunn moment. It's kind of Tim Tommy Gunn moment. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> I... Yeah, it's, it's, it's open carry, Tim Gunn. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing about this book that really shocks me is i hate these characters being together i don't think any of them deserve this except Sabretooth, who deserves to be you know torn apart by a back of pack of wild boars forever but <laughs> i i'm just fascinated because these characters don't fit together but it makes the book so beautiful oh my god oya and necra oh Oh my God, my heart. Oh, you could see that there was a lot of complex feelings because Necra gets a lot of her power from how pissed off she is. Well, and from all the black nail polish. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not having a hardcore, like, thirsty-ass goth girl moment over Necra. Uh, But, like, her and Oya have such a special relationship in this book, and it's wonderful to see that it's reciprocated both ways that friendship is strong between the two of them and it feels healthy i'm i'm here for it i'm so here for it also i think what is part of the kirkoan era and the project for a lot of these characters is rehabilitation and not just like in character rehabilitation like in hellions but also like fixing characters right the the conan betsy situation um I don't think it was another one that I had in mind, but um, for Necra, her character at root is like a very racially messy concept. It's an angry black lady that isn't black, but is most definitely angry and gets her superpowers from it. And I'm sure at some point that seemed kind of in its own way forward thinking because it is kind of edgy in concept. But I like the fact that this book, I mean, I like the fact that Victor Laval took a character like that and was like, let's make her interesting. Let's make her more than just an angry black lady. But also, she has reason to be angry. Um, and let's give her depth and show in a way that I find really, I don't know, poignant. Um, show her being able to relate to other young black women and mentoring them in a way that, you know, I've seen in my own life and family, um, women who don't, in Necker's case, don't get the respect and the empathy they deserve. Um, And so here is a young black woman 
who she can pour into when the world is often not listening to Necra and just being like, you're angry. And it's like, well, okay, but is it her fault? That's a you question to answer, you know? So there's something I do love about this book and, and something that like you brought up, Nico, about not liking these characters being together and how it how you don't love what it's doing for these characters and Broadway and Raven kind of kind of going with what you guys have been saying, what y'all have been saying. Like I I love how this book is taking a look at through the eyes of fictional mutant characters, you know, sort of the types of people you would run into in the incarceral system, right? Mm -hmm. You know, um, you know, Orphan Maker being incarcerated in the pit, unfortunately, does shadow a lot of real life where we do, unfortunately, imprison a lot of, uh, you know, I try to figure People out the right with way. mental capabilities that are on the lower side. Thank you. Instead yeah, of giving them the correct support that they actually absolutely. need. And any uneducated other, not, you know, yeah. that uneducated makes you anything bad. But if you have not had access to education, so you have not had means afforded to you and you've had to survive. Mm -hmm. Like. No, this this book was so fantastic because it touched on a lot of racially messy uh, uh, things. And I mean, like they touched on uh, the Indian welfare and health system they touched on um the father of gynecology who can rot in hell for all eternity um you know they touched on like a lot of stuff that it's like yeah yeah this this all happened and then a lot of it was racially motivated or motivated because the people involved were poor and and just reading through the Dr. Barrington's uh, little side notes and, you know, all of her little accolades and stuff, that was so rough on so many levels because it rang so damn true. And that takes a lot of guts to put something like that into a book. And they pulled it off beautifully on a lot of levels. So I, I absolutely applaud them for this. I am definitely sticking with this book. Oh, gotcha. No, I fully agree. Like science, like as a scientist, I can say like the history of science is real messy, real racist, real homophobic, etc. So it's very it's very important that we recognize that history, and this book is definitely doing that. And it was not something I was expecting it to do, but I really respect it for it. And I mean, you know, one thing I would like to point out is. Uh, you know, Broadway, I'm pretty sure you've been on, if not every piece of Sabretooth coverage, you've been on at least a vast majority, right? So, you know, lots of blood everywhere. And, you know, I think the thing that I, I didn't expect is to be able to say that sentence. Oh, wow. Look at all the Sabretooth there's been. <laughs> right. Uh, when he got tossed in the pit, I expected to be like, Bye. Yeah, I always felt like it was something that was going to come back around, but to make a book out of it instead of having that just be like a plot in, say, Wolverine, um, I thought was really smart, but also to not make the book about, about this, the like overly empathizing with Sabretooth. Yeah. It's, it's, 
And I've said this before on our previous coverage, especially on the first series, which really is about just explicitly incarceration, whereas this one is kind of more about the, yeah. the capitalistic underpinnings of incarceration. It's like the second step. Um, I think that you can recognize that this, the conditions that this person is living in are horrid without ever granting them charity for being an awful person as well. Yeah. Um, so much of the first part of this three-part series I think he's doing um, is about the fact that Sabretooth is awful but has rights. And this one, I like that we're really getting time with the other characters. We get them in the first series, but especially somebody like Oya, who we're, you know, people were offended when they found out that Oya was in the pit. But it's like, that's the point, is that there are Oyas out there who have done everything, right? I think it's not, um, it's not a mistake that she's a young Black girl, but yeah. she's done everything right. She followed the, the rules, and yet the system has entrapped her as well same thing with madison jeffries he was doing something that he thought was right um and bringing in a former x-men ally and trying to trying to help her and build a home for danger and it backfired and that is also what has trapped him in the carceral state um so it's nice to see to go from god Sabretooth is awful but he has rights to also look at all these other people that we can empathize with that are uh, enmeshed in this system also unjustly and look at the the things they have to do as they're seeking refuge and freeing others. Um, look at what they're forced into and who they become when the carceral system sort of infects them to use sort of parasitic language. And I think it's really interesting that Sabretooth is pretty impassioned. Like, he's pretty passionate about, like, don't trust me. I'm not a good guy. Yeah, I will betray you. And it takes me back to the conversation we were having about Wolverine. One of the things that bothers me about Wolverine is that he constantly is like, I'm no good. I'm bad. But he's like a superhero and he has a really good heart and he loves. And yeah, he's made a ton of mistakes, whatever. But like, he knows he ought to know he's a good person i get sick of wolverine being like i'm bad i no. love Sabretooth saying he's bad because yeah. Sabretooth is specifically saying i do not have good motivations you don't have to trust me yeah i will probably kill you uh it might make sense for us to team up in this moment um it's an important distinction because like Broadway said, somebody like that still has rights. Somebody like that is somebody you still have to interact with and acknowledge as human. And it's much more interesting to take a person who is being real about who they are and start to dissect it from there rather than a character like Logan where it's just kind of like, okay, you're so bad, we get it. Uh, when you're actually very sweet and you started a fucking school for kids. So we're not even having like a productive conversation. <laughs> we're just letting you pity yourself. Sabretooth needs none of that pity, and that's a really good place to start for <laughs> where we're going to go from there. Well, Sabretooth, Victor Creed has never gotten that pity. Look at who his father is. That's true. You know, look at his entire upbringing. Like, somebody actually started giving a shit about Logan, and they helped him, and they worked with him, and they gave him support. Sabretooth has never gotten that from anyone, not even Magneto. He was used as a tool, he was used as a soldier. He was used as a shock troop this entire time. 
nobody has ever really given a shit about the pain that they have caused him or the damage that they've caused him. So, like, even though I'm like, I really don't like him as a person, he is definitely several screws loose. He's very, very dangerous. I wouldn't trust him until he had a very long, very meaningful redemption arc. But at the same point in time, watching him in that hanged man's pose while slightly hot, uh, getting his liver taken out with basically no anesthetic by some eugenicist fuck of a doctor. I was like, this is not right at all. Like, it's messed up. Like, even though he is so close to being unredeemable, nobody deserves that kind of shit. Exactly. I love I love how this book is pushing our limits on what is acceptable and and what we should what it's making us ask questions of what we should accept as a society for people who have done bad things you know like it, it, it's it's a really great book to make you think to start great conversations as this conversation has been and as we have wrapped up this segment um let's see so i know it's Evelyn in Broadway's last segment, right? So if y'all want to sign off again, uh, let us know where we can find y'all. And then also uh, give me another favorite 90s character. So like I said earlier with my uh, rogue cl- um, my rogue poster in the closet, <laughs> no symbolism there. Uh, she was definitely my 90s pick for sure. Like her and Gambit. Like, Ooh. oh, I didn't understand what was going on, but now I do. Uh, <laughs> Um, but yeah, you can, guys can find me at both, um, Instagram and Twitter at comic underscore canary. Uh, yeah, I've had a lot of fun talking with you guys. It's great to have you back. Um, yeah, uh, my, I, I think the other favorite of mine was Jubilee. I think that was a character that I like, that I imprinted on, especially as a kid when you want to be grown up even though you don't really know what being grown up is. It's not as fun as it seems. But when you're like a kid, you look at high schoolers and you're like, wow, they're so like in charge of stuff. What are high schoolers in charge of? (laughs) Um, So she was a cool character to watch growing up. Just be young and cool. Um, Yeah, I guess the last thing I'll say about Sabretooth um, to, uh, to everyone's point is like so much of this book is about the, the floors of people's humanity and I think that when you begin to think about that you create more space for a more just society if everybody has like a base level humanity even unfortunately saber tooth um yeah I, I'm glad to be back it's uh super fun uh I missed you guys um you. and you will find me here again I'm on twitter at bway3rd love you guys lots well, I just want to say thank you guys so much for being with us. And uh, I just I have to make this joke. Uh, all this Necra and uh, Oya love. It's just kind of like Necra said, Oya como va? And I I regret nothing. Who? Why are, where are these dad jokes coming from? Nothing. I regret Nicholas nothing. Drake over there. It's like very Freudian. It's just like jumping out. Yeah, it's. I can feel the little minivan parking itself in my soul. So, um, guys, thank you so much, and we will be seeing Evelyn and Beeway soon. And now coming on, we have a uh, we have the Joan 
to my Johnny. Oh. We have the oh, there she is. Hey, lady, what's up? Hello. Hey, Shook. Oh, hi. Hi. She's on my shirt too. Because <laughs> there are so many other 90s characters I love. <laughs> so I guess we're all just on the rogue train these days. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jared the there. I'm rogue in the 90s. Are you gay or did you like someone else on the X Men team? So... <laughs> X Men. Yes. That's that's the only correct answer. X Men. Yes. <laughs> so. T, where can everybody find you? You can find me on Instagram at smtori. That's Tori with an I, or on Twitter at Tori underscore Sheehan. Sorry, I don't get called T all that often when I'm around others who start with T with Nico. So it took me a sec there. Yeah. Uh, so Tori and I have been longtime collaborators on our comic Kid Riot, and of course, Tori's amazing spinoff Capes and Boots. And uh, we've long had a collaborator, Taryn, and we knew him before we knew Tori. At least I knew Taryn before I knew Tori. So that's why uh, Taryn got the T nickname. But then Taryn made the terrible decision of moving to Florida. So now Tori's around more often. So Tori won the nickname. I did. I did. We'll see what happens when TK comes on down to Jersey. That'll be <laughs> yeah. that'll take, take precedence, I guess. Well, because I mean, right now you've got the W on the T, but uh, to move from the W on the T in case of the TK to the DPO2, we're going to be taking a look Ooh. at Deadpool number two, which is, of course, by none other than the incredible Alyssa Wong. And I want to say the inscrutable Alyssa Wong, but what I mean is the inscrutable works of Alyssa Wong, because Alyssa Wong makes their intentions clear. Fuck your expectations. Have a good time. <laughs> we have uh, shocking art by Martin Cocolo. Uh, we have colors by Naraj Menon and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. You know, every time I see Martin Cocolo, I always think uh, uh, Warren Cocorello, but that's a different conversation for a different day. And so I'm really here for this book. The first thing I want to say is I might be a big Deadpool fan. I don't know. Um, but I'm in for this ride. I don't care. This book is going to, I'm going to buy it no matter what. It, so I'm in. I'm not the guy they're trying to impress. How do you all feel about a title that I don't think all of you would always buy, but would rather, you know, engage with as appropriate for your interest level? Talk to me. Hit me with the Deadpools. Okay. So I'm I on. I love DP. Who doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> I bought the last Deadpool series because I was like, oh my gosh, Nick Sonic Teenage Warhead comes back in it. So, like, I, I, I bought it and I loved it. And I, was that Kelly Thompson? That was Kelly Thompson, right? Yeah, okay. I believe yeah, so. Yeah, that was, that was amazing. That's probably the first Deadpool series that I've enjoyed. So, going into it, I was like, I'll give this one a shot. Um, and then when I found out it was Alyssa Wong, uh, and knowing how much I love their work, I was like, fuck yeah, I'm going to give it a shot. But every issue has been leaps and bounds better than I would ever dare expect of Deadpool comic to ever be like there is like the humor is not icky and offensive like it has been in the past and it's 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 warm and it's accepting and the characters are just so well written this is like my surprise favorite x-book of the year and it still feels like Deadpool which I mean, that, that's hard sometimes 
especially you know knowing where he he started at but yeah like they they were able to give it the deadpool feel the comedy the gore and swearing that we all love you know the existential crisis even the flirting even the flirting that wasn't flirting was hilarious and well done so i was like oh heck yeah i'm definitely showing up for this for sure like um i know that i popped out of the deadpool movies and i was like nico what if i want to read deadpool and he was like you don't you don't (laughs) And no. I was like, I mean, oh. women chained up in basements, and yeah, like... yeah. I was like, oh, okay, fine. But then uh, I saw that Alyssa Wong was doing this, and I was like, oh, maybe I should start reading Deadpool. And then Nico put me on this one, and then I loved it so much that I read ahead to the next issue, mm-hmm. and so. I was just so amped. I loved everything about it. I think the introduction of Valentine is great. I was excited to see Lady Deathstrike, who I haven't seen since the 80s when I was reading Daredevil. So it's all just just such a joy to be to get to read this and talk about it with y'all. You make me like the proudest <laughs> coming in with some Daredevil 197 to 200 deep cut the first appearance of Lady Mariko as a Daredevil love interest when love. Bullseye gets the adamantium skeleton you love. are something else love our Lady Eureka. love her don't know what she's been up to since but she looks great oh. you? Next I love the costume update So, Teak, you know, you actually, uh, you, you, you got me these fine duds, and uh, I love my Deadpool sweater, but I feel like you're more the cable side of things than the Deadpool side of things. So, this was, is this a, you're reading it because, you know, you're stuck with me, or is this, you're reading it because you're like Alyssa Wong? Okay, okay, okay. It is that second one. It is 100% Alyssa Wong. And Nathan said it all when we discussed this in the first issue. The update to the humor is so important and so refreshing. It's like really a sea change because it means that Daredevil can be for all, or sorry, Deadpool can be for all people. It is not humor in comics is just for asinine 12 year olds it is not you know mozzarella sticks and ska music it truly is for whoever comes to the book and like i i love Alyssa wong i assume she would write a great deadpool story <laughs> tk at 15 mozzarella sticks and ska I was like, music wow I was like, what, what 12 I, i'm calling know? myself out here uh <laughs> I, I know it all from experience pizza rolls <laughs> exactly um i would not have assumed that Alyssa wong could write such solid deadpool humor uh, humor period, sure. Solid Deadpool story, sure. But figuring out how to update the Deadpool flow for an audience that enjoys comedy but is not gonna go for poop jokes is not easy. Like it, there, it, there. It's just likely to fall flat. Comic books are not a very easy medium for higher brow humor. You've also got to do plot stuff. So the fact that she really manages to do things like. Um, 
you know, still do horny humor. But now we know that Deadpool's love interest is a non-binary person, which makes perfect sense and is never played for the joke of like, can you believe Deadpool, this sex freak, likes this person? It's, can you believe Deadpool is this horny in this moment when he's like about to die? That's the joke. And like, that's what we as adults want. But we still want the horny humor. It's still funny. We just don't want it to be like, oh, like, look at his proclivities. And, you know. <laughs> hey, I now know that he's into medical play. So. Exactly. Play, I'm plant just tentacles. Like, He's like, the plant bursting. tentacles are nice, but if you got needles, I'm more into that. I'm like, that is very specific. Okay. I mean, he's got a healing factor, of course. Sure. Yeah. We're here he for it. Listen. Prick. I'm not here. <laughs> I'm not yucking anybody's yum. Uh, I just, I love that. Alyssa has managed to put so much of this into the book and infuse this character with an update. We needed it. We all grew up. So, okay. Now, here's the thing. Deadpool is not an X-Man. I would love it. I would love nothing more if Deadpool was an X-Man. But what is Deadpool? Deadpool's like X-Men adjacent. If you were trying... Yeah. He's Gibbler of the X-Men. Yeah. If you were doing an X-Men proof, you would have to be like a side side angle or angle side side, you know, so ass to prove that, uh, yeah, it works now, uh, that, uh, you know, he is in fact kind of an X-Man. You'd have to work really hard. And the reason I bring that up is because I've been making this big thing about, I think everybody's getting a symbiote for Summer of Symbiote, so every book can have a symbiote. I think everybody's getting a, a Spirit of Vengeance so that when it's time for Spirit of Vengeance, like I keep calling it the Fall of Vengeance, I don't judge myself because it's Summer of Symbiotes, Fall mm -hmm. of X. I really wonder if it's going to be Winter of uh, Vengeance or something. Yeah. I, a thousand percent, right? I think we're just going to have to go uh, and read Walden sitting at a pond or something. Um, any pond you want, it doesn't matter. So here's my thing. I don't like this for Doc Ock. I don't really like the reimagining of Doc Ock as a villain. Again, I loved Tolliver, his uh, identity as a good guy. So we prefer him hot. Make yeah, him we hot. Prefer him hot. And, how, uh, so, how long has he been a good guy? Like a couple of years, like he was a good guy for a good five or six years, a superior Spider-Man, and one of the anti-hero. Yeah, yeah. I well, thought I'm... him taking over the Spider-Man was not. It was the bad. Most it was it... bad. <laughs> and then it got like he grew good because of it. Yeah, it never got sexy, but it got Tumblr problematic. Oh, and, and then okay. he got his own body. And I want to reiterate, he was hot. Bring him back uh, hot. But maybe I mean, he, he's, he's, he, he could, he could still be considered hot there. now, except for that fucking bowl cut. The haircut is really rough. Oh, it's so hard. It's so hard to look at. It's a little achy breaky in the heart, you know? <laughs> it's so, a Caesar cut. Who doesn't but want so, to be an So, okay, Deadpool. The transitive property of Deadpool is everybody wants to fuck Deadpool, so Deadpool can be in any book. How do you guys feel about the accessibility and the positioning of Alyssa Wong. It is so significant that Alyssa Wong is a non-binary person of color who is 
trotting some really brave ground. Now, Alyssa is not the first non-male person to write Deadpool by any stretch, as one of the most famous runs of Deadpool ever from the classic years is by the breathtaking one-of-a-kind and genius Gail Simone. It is the famous thing where whittling down the rhino to a keychain comes from. It's uh, one of my favorite things in all of Marvel Comics. And um, so I'm very positive on this idea that Marvel is trying to push this forward. But by giving Deadpool this multiversal, almost, ability to be in any part of the Marvel Universe right now, whether it's Doc Ock, whether it's Symbiotes, how do you guys feel about this reimagining of this character in such a pivotal moment with such a bold choice and the right choice on the voice? I think that Deadpool should never be written by a cis-hat male person ever again. Because... <laughs> Every every time you get uh, a woman or somebody who is AFAB writing the book, there seems to be so much more like nuance and like the jokes just feel tighter and like I don't know the flow is always just so much better and you get a lot more out of the character. When men write it, it has this awful tendency to kind of just lean back into the old RL days where it's like, oh yeah, let's make these kind of really badly timed badly worded jokes and you know just dick and fart humor and it's like you've got the gore but you don't have like the nuance and i'm like i need some nuance with deadpool he's not just a hack and slash yeah i i think it it deadpool works best when you don't play his bisexuality pansexuality as a joke which Mm -hmm. a lot of the straight male writers do whereas um you know, the non-male or, you know, non-straight writers don't play this joke. They play it as part of his persona and his character. But, mm-hmm. like, the joke isn't that he likes somebody of the same sex. The joke is that something else. It, it's, it's not his sexuality. That he's awkward. That he's, that he's you awkward. know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he can still be that awkward guy. But, mm-hmm. like, it's not, the joke's not on him. It's mm-hmm. for the same reason. Yeah, well, I mean, look at the pickup lines that... They yeah. that he was trying to write for for Valentine. Yeah. Like they were hilariously bad. For his end day. Oh my yes! Oh my god, yes! Oh I screamed so loud and giggled so hard at that one. Oh my god, that was so mm, love. And it, you can hear it. him trying to say it in a way that like it's not Alyssa being like, hey, you have to use this terminology. It's Deadpool being the type of person who is actually smart enough to know that somebody would want to be referred to that way, but not cool enough to work it in in any way that seems organic. So that's funny. And then we're also like, and we root for it a little bit. Like, that's sweet. We root for this poor fool. But he actually got it right. Like, these are all, this is all correct. And, you know, if you are somebody who is not part of the community, is not exposed to a lot of these people, you can still be in on the joke. Because for you, it's like, I didn't really understand that that was what she wanted to be, or what they wanted to be called either. That wasn't what the writer thought of first. Like, you have an ability to participate from your own standpoint, where so much of the humor is always going to be exclusionary if it is the Deadpool of the nineties into the early two thousands. And I, you know, I mean, I think we really just like sort of sewed up what everybody, like how this book can benefit Marvel as a business. The model of Deadpool 
can be a bigger tent. I agree. I think that um, watching Deadpool evolve is a lot like watching um, the, the Marvel comics grow from where they were in the 90s into today. There's a lot more character work. There's a lot more um, interaction. There's a lot. There's not as much just gore, fighting, smashing, all that kind of stuff. You still have it, but there's there's more to it, and it has a plot-related reason to move things forward. And I think that by doing that, we connect stronger with characters. We create characters that resonate with more people. And we find a way to make characters uh, that pre-existed um, become more universal. I can guarantee you that nobody in the 90s was thinking that Deadpool would find someone like Valentine that interesting. But to bring them into the 21st century and into the, you know, the 2020s, um, these kinds of things are the natural progression for a character that has grown so, so much from those early days. So now I, I really love the discussion we're having because it really involves the conversation forward. And the other thing that I really want to point out as uh, TK can probably see behind me and is probably already laughing. Um, this is not the first time Deadpool has recently interacted with spider people not just in the what? deadpool spider-man title but marvel took a really bold chance and shonen jump out in japan published a full-on japanese written and drawn manga of deadpool and uh kevo if you would please put up the image for us we've covered this on uh x's for podcast but the thing that i really need to point out is in addition to Sakura Spider, who is the love of my motherfucking life, and I will hear nothing else about it, literally her powers are described as pretty much Spider-Man. That's literally how her powers are described. It's incredible, okay? Um, but she and Deadpool get a a comrade who, uh, Kevo, if you will scroll down. Uh, her name is Nero Ar uh, Aratabi, and she is a major pop star. And she has her own symbiote named Kage, who is just this shadow that loves to eat people and won't eat people if they're Nero's fan. Oh. I mean, same. <laughs> so we're seeing a lot of work to introduce Deadpool further into Spider-Man mythos and to further ingratiate him into the idea of the symbiote. How do you guys feel specifically about Deadpool being partnered up so closely with a character he looks so fucking much like? I mean, for me, the fact that he's attached to a symbiote, the symbiote has kind of the same reactions that early Deadpool did so I'm very excited to see them working together I guess like it's a way to keep the carnage to a maximum <laughs> while still giving us all of the Deadpool fun that we're growing into now yeah I mean I, I feel like it kind of Spider-Man is the biggest character for Marvel, arguably. Deadpool is 
in that next tier of like really big cool characters it just makes sense from a synergy perspective that you're gonna want to weave the two and make it possible for them to uh, they uh, have an iconography that's similar so like visually you want to put them together there's a lot of reasons to put them together the humor like there's so much and you can only benefit by finding unique and interesting ways to associate them you know the the manga is so cool because it's a manga like it's it's a different format for marvel now they're branching into other forms of publishing sakura spider is great because it's not just him and peter like he can be a part of the whole spider the spider verse um you know peter showing up in something weapon x related would be really that you know associated with deadpool in some way would be really funny too these are two big characters that you get something out of it from a business perspective when you put them together but what i'm really appreciating is that in figuring out how they might do that people like Alyssa wong are being chosen to write it and writing really good stories and we're getting interesting ventures like this deadpool manga which we just absolutely really did love and it's two books if you are not a manga person i really would recommend thinking about picking it up because it is a really easy access into the genre and the format and you know it's just fun i'm trying to talk over the green screen so that you can get something back on there but it's not happening you know we've the wizard oh there we go <laughs> the wizard of oz was just a dude the whole time oh no <laughs> no dude dang <laughs> yes. So, as we were saying before I ruined everything with my verdigree, um, we were talking uh, Spider-Man, Deadpool, symbiotes. I believe, Raven, uh, you, you have yet to thwip your thoughts our way. Well, I mean, I've seen the very... Um... <clears throat> intricate uh, 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 relationship that Eddie Brock has with Venom. Oh, Lord, yes. I'm, I'm wondering if we're going to get to see a bit of that because... That's so Wade's bag right there. Like, like his his tiny symbiote is is so tiny, but just as horny as him going, yes! No! I'm like, that, I died laughing so much. I'm like, I need to see Wade and this thing have a conversation the way Venom and Eddie do because this is gonna be comedy. Like I can't wait. I can't wait. It, it it was so well done and like it all fits within the realm of Deadpool goodness. And so yeah, I really want to see like how they're gonna drive this forward because it's gonna be funny. It's gonna be good. And like honestly, I think they are going to bring a, a different bent to say the spider universe plus deadpool slash deadpool being very x-men adjacent and honestly i'm loving the updates so far i love it now did i i just i really ruined my life with that green screen moment i totally lost track of everything did i miss anybody's response to the question uh yeah Nathan? So I, I would say just um i i do love that i do love the interaction that we see in issue the next issue that we'll get to talk about more um, later, but like it's it, it's it's interesting to see 
the Carnage symbiote in whatever form it is uh, attached to somebody else. And I can't wait to see what it's going to go on with that because we already know Deadpool has a really complex relationship with Spider. And, you know... (laughs) Half the time he wants to just be his best friends. Half the time he wants to fuck them. I don't or be fucked by him. I don't know which one is more. Maybe it's all of the above. But like, I, I would love to see a uh, Wade that like is fully into Valentine have to then also at the same time run into Spider and see what's gonna happen to that. He's got extra arms to hug them both now. <laughs> more the merrier. Yeah. <laughs> and. As we finish out this episode, one of the things that I want to say that I'm most grateful for in the coverage of all of the things we went over today is that they mark an evolution, not just of the Marvel Universe, but moreover of what we've hoped to get out of a comic line that is meant to be a safe haven for, ca- for people searching for characters that represent minorities, characters of color, and more. And with creating a safer space with these characters, I'm left excited for the potentiality of it because I don't think this bangs any harder than any other Deadpool book. So my question for you guys is sort of a thoughtful one as we get ready to play out, though I am asking Kevo to queue up two images uh, from Deadpool Samurai to hopefully get everybody to read it because it's so fucking good. Uh, And I think these two images might sell some people. But what tropes do you no longer see in Deadpool that you now are excited to see replaced? Like for me, for instance... We no longer see Deadpool have a fascination with torturing other people. There's no more keeping copycat chained to a wall. Instead, to get that sort of torture aesthetic, he's just ripped apart constantly. And it trades one extreme of torture for another. And that's a trade within the trope genre that allows for the same level of extremeness that I know people are looking for that doesn't require someone to sacrifice agency or autonomy. And I can think of several more, but I didn't know if you guys saw any changes in Deadpool that still allow him to be a fucking badass that have allowed more people the safe space within Deadpool. I I gotta say, I agree with you on the the torture thing because in the past, Deadpool would have tortured abigail arcane i mean the harrower um but like you know now he's getting tortured by her <laughs> she is abigail arcane isn't she oh my god she's <laughs> abigail arcane yeah. i mean like come on let's be real <laughs> but like um uh but beyond that i, I would just say it, it's the it's the play and jokiness on the sexuality and the the, the real shift in how it's approached you know, I don't know what exact tropes that would be in, but that that's a big thing I've noticed that he can still kick ass and be a little gay. For me, I think it is the replacement of like chimichanga humor with um like it's kind of like we accept that he is uh an ADHD baby. The best example I can give is that he forgot that um you, uh, Yuriko was there. Yes. Like that yeah. is just like 
that compared to chimichanga it is like god you're so you're such a fucking mess but where chimichanga humor is like a joke <laughs> that like was funny once and then it's like really we're doing this again the kind of what yeah. we're seeing here with just like jesus you don't even know what's going on in the world around you half the time do you like uh, we're supposed to be murder partners and i'm so frustrated with you is really funny it's just it's a really good one-for-one replacement where a silly one-off line which i'm sure he'll still have plenty of can really get replaced with like you as a person are a functional mess and it is killing us literally in this moment Um, I, uh, I don't know her before today, so <laughs> I can't help you with the, with the old ones. Except Mariah Carey, I don't know her. <laughs> as a, you know, as somebody who collects Mariah Carey Funko Pops, because. Yeah, that's your, that's your brand. It's my brand. It really is. Like standing Mariah Carey too hard really is my brand. Um, great. That's best. Yeah, that's my that's my problematic Deadpool trope from the '90s for you, Tori. But what's a trope you like about him now? Um, I honestly actually really love that we got to run through like that we are running through a whole bunch of like the more dangerous side of fanfic kinks, the more problematic ones, in a way that is not like oh my god you perverts it's more just like yeah like this could take a turn like maybe if someone wasn't being such an asshole about it we could have a good time um and so i really enjoy that i enjoy the um taking that stuff and making it exciting and interesting and like making it like seeing if it awakens anything in you i think that deadpool should be a lot of people's awakenings dog suit for a dean yeah so raven is there something that you feel they've deleted from deadpool that makes the character more accessible but keeps him still a hardcore motherfucker i love the fact that they've leaned into his the aspects of his sexuality without using them as the punchline for a joke but rather parts of his actual personality that are fully realized the fact that he said you know i'm normally into this but right now you don't have my consent and that's why I'm not into this. I'm like, <laughs> thank you. Because yeah. you can be into that stuff, but it is always about consent. And and I like seeing a Deadpool who is not only looking for consent, but also a Deadpool who has personal boundaries rather than, oh yeah, I'm just going to do whatever. And as long as it gets a laugh, I'm like, some of that was really, really cringy and kind of detrimental at a lot of times. And I'm like, I like the fact that A, he's looking for consent, B, he's setting personal boundaries, and C, he's leaning into his own sexuality without making it necessarily everybody else's problem. So it's like, it's fantastic. I love it. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Less pervert. More like, ooh, pervert. (laughs) I love it. You're right, Kevo. You are correct. Well, speaking of things that I want to make everybody else's problem, Kevo, would you pop into the studio for a moment? So I love, we're just I love about Kevo out of time. Poppins. Right? No, we're just no, about no. out of time. And I uh, I just want to share this image. If this does not get everybody to uh, be interested in reading Deadpool Samurai, nothing will. Kevo, 
Uh, would you display the images? I'm so excited. This is literally an All Might team-up, like My Hero Academia. This is a canonical All Might team-up. And then next to it, that is in fact Thanos <laughs> saying, Dubstep is trash. <laughs> How dare. Was it Deadpool 2 <laughs> it was it was said yeah. by cable. It was said by Josh Brolin. Oh my god, I freaking love that. Wow. It's real so, good. I can't recommend this series enough. We covered it back in episode four eleven. Uh it is in fact like Mary J wants us to know the four one one. So um And it's it's the I, two it's I think you can get them both for under twenty dollars. Like it's really Oh wow. Um yeah. it's really good. Yeah. And if yeah. you buy the two, uh, if you buy the two volumes on Comicsology, they actually come with like bonus stories. Uh, it's terrific. And if you read Deadpool Black, White, and Blood, you actually read a story of this uh, Deadpool Samurai version. And there's also a Sakura Spider story in Edge of the Spider Verse, which is spectacular, uh, by series favorite Zach Davison from Demon Wars. Ooh, so yay. definitely check that out. Not all but, my okay. faves in here. Yeah, but show's fucking over. We ran way long. I just, uh, you know, it was just too good talking to everybody, and everybody's got way too many good things to say, and uh, there's no way. Uh, you know, Raven, we haven't had you in, like, a month, two months, no. so I was just like, Raven's segments run long. So, um... Always. I don't shut up so, shit. <laughs> like, like, I'm gonna say stop. So, um... All right. Everybody, hit me with your sign-offs. Uh, I'm Nico. You can find me at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And I just got to say it. Uh, the book my story is in is Glad nominated. And I just can't say thank you enough. Oh, to... oh, wait. Oh, oh. I already oh. have something ready for ready? you. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Oh. 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 Wow. More than just Glad nominated. Thank you. Good lord, you're just taking the world by storm. Well, and I just want to, if you could jump back to the Billy Club for a second, I just want to say, I said the Joan to my Johnny, but what I really meant, I think, is the Robin to my Howard, and uh, I just couldn't do it without you. So thank you for pinch hitting on X all the time. Oh, yeah. Because uh, yeah. you're the best, and uh, that's my sign off. Everybody else fucking go. <laughs> I'm TK. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, every social network there really is at xnatexgrayx. Bye, y'all. It's Nathan. You can find me at Jasper AOA on Twitter, mainly Twitter, but everywhere else. And I and I love Rogue. Bye, y'all. I'm Tori. Bye. You can find. I'm Tori. You can find me on Instagram at smtori and on Twitter at tori underscore Sheehan. That makes me Raven as my namesake, Raven Dog Holmes. And you can find me all over social media <laughs> as Sanguine Threads. Hey, hubby, where can we find you? Yeah, you can find me on socials at Kevo Really, K E V O R E A L L Y, and also producing all the stuff that we're doing up on here. I came prepared for the 90s too. I'm repping my gargoyles, and I've got. I, I don't know what set this was. I'm not as familiar with 90s animated X-Men as the rest of you. Spider-Man was more was more my jam. So. That's like war the room. meeting room the that they room. had. The, yeah, that's this is the war room. Like, it's not really a thing. <laughs> okay. 
It's just one of the backgrounds that I had. So yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah sure. good one. And Gargoyles, I love Gargoyles. It's like Star Trek, like I, part two. But anyway. I can do stuff like this. So hold on. I have a gift going. I have a thing going. So oh! yeah. So, this is I'm this is very danger room. This is danger room disco. Oh yeah, I like that. All right, yeah, well, I'm the Spider Man. Uh, Kevin. Oh, I'm so sorry. I did, you are the Spider Man danger room. You are. You personally are. <laughs> okay. All right. Play us the fuck out, Kevo. Get us. Get us. I home. guess. Yeah. <laughs> play us out. Good night, everyone. Good night, everybody. Bye bye.